So, how's it going? It's been going pretty well. That's good. <laughs> good, good talk. <laughs> Great talk. Well, good night, folks. <laughs> Got it to <laughs> Welcome to the Sonic Comic... Wait, I read my notes wrong. Welcome to the title-pendering podcast, the Sonic Comic Recap Podcast, where, no, we're not gonna put Ken Pender's son on the tier list. That'd be creepy. I'm Camilla, substitute leader of the Substitute Freedom Fighters, and I'm joined here by my lovely partner, of whom I'm gonna let introduce themselves for once. I'm Vespa the Vespa. Yeah... So how are you feeling today about these issues? <laughs> uh, it's interesting, to say the least, without uh, going into too much detail. Yeah, I'm going to say it outright. I feel like a lobster just in a pot of water where the temperature is just being slowly risen up more and more. <laughs> and by the time it realizes it's boiling, it's too late. That's how I feel right now. <laughs> um... <laughs> you know, fair enough. Fair enough. Because we're we're hitting. I feel like we're we're starting to hit the spicy zone of mm -hmm. Archie comics. Oh, definitely. Like, it's been like a gradual ascent in spice factor to which I've just just not been noticing it until it's too late for me. And I've, so that's where we're. <laughs> I feel like we keep on getting these like more lighthearted, early feeling stories in between, like the more dramatic actiony stuff. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But now we're just going deep into the weeds of story bullshit. Mm -hmm. And with that, let's just dive right in. Straight to hell, also known as the Recap Zone. Oh boy. different gonna experiment a bit because we do have a lot of issues to cover this time but we're also hitting a point where the story is actually overarching from point to point and so we're just gonna go recap all of the ongoing storyline stuff talk about that and then go back to talk about the more episodic fillery stuff mm. and so let's begin the endgame arc with issue 41. Sonic steals parts from Robotnik for Rotor, building a neutralizer for the Zone of Silence, which we learn is still in the process of collapsing. Jeffrey St. John is also here, and the two continue to bicker and argue with each other because they're both pining after Sally and thus are completely unwilling to get along. After a lot of tedious bickering and fistfighting, Rotor gives Sonic, Sally, and Jeffrey jetpacks, and the three finally enter the Zone of Silence. Due to Robotnik's meddling with the Zone of Silence, the dimension is less stable than it was before, causing ripples in reality that show events yet to happen as well as those that have already happened. We learn what happened to King Acorn in the past as, in a day state, he was escorted to a furnace and fitted with the armor that he wears in the present. Sonic gets a premonition of the confrontation between him and King Acorn before the trio gets sucked into a cosmic whirlpool, their jetpacks out of fuel. King Acorn appears before them, and Sonic buys time for Sally and Jeffrey to escape, 
the latter two using the neutralizer to fuel their jetpack, and we see the confrontation between Sonic and King Acorn play out once more. Sonic quickly overpowers King Acorn and uses his horse to ride after the other two, and they narrowly manage to escape the zone of silence. Um, where'd the horse go, by the way? <laughs> the horse just disappeared. Maybe it just, like, can't escape the zone, whatever. Damn. Like, the art in this issue is just... I just chalk it up to the like, art in this issue being very messy. Yeah. We'll get, but, to, um, we'll get to that. We then get into a miniseries, Sonic Quest, Issue 1. Sonic and Jeffrey are fighting again. The big green once more gets interrupted by Sally, who takes them to King Acorn, who's been secretly stashed away in a cottage at Knothole due to his condition. Due to prolonged exposure to the zone of silence, his skin is quickly crystallizing, turning green like a Chaos Emeralds. You know, the ones you usually see in the zones are the same ones you enter when you play Sonic on your Sega system, and everyone is stumped as to how to deal with it. Sonic tries using his billionth ring, briefly restoring King Acorn to lucidity. Surmising that getting more rings may work to cure his condition, Sonic and Tails head out to a recently discovered grotto of rings. We cut to Robotnik who's leaving Snively in charge of what remains of Robotropolis as he heads off in his new orbital spaceship. Snively instead renames the city to Snivopolis and orders the SWAT bots to pamper him. Sonic and Tails are too late to discover the grotto, seeing that Robotnik has already built a dome around it to prevent anyone else from taking its rings. Sonic heads off to find his friend Carl Condor, and Tails sits back, witnessing a giant tube falling from the sky, inserting itself into the grotto and sucking up the rings as well as Tails himself. Sonic is attacked by the roboticized Carl Condor, now dubbed Condor Bot, and gets knocked out. We cut to Robotnik chastising a SWAT bot for sucking up debris, trees, and dirt alongside the rings, and throws him into garbage chute, ending this issue by gloating over his newest invention the very orbital weapon he's standing in, the Death Egg. Issue 2 picks up with Tails getting the idea to disguise himself using the busted-up SWAT bot from Issue 1, and makes his way to Robotnik to learn what his plans are. Sonic reveals to the audience that he was only faking unconsciousness in hopes that the Condor bot would gloat to himself his master's plans, which he does, and then proceeds to attack using his figure 8 super peel-out, first seen in issue 25, and later seen in Triple Trouble issue 1, Super Sonic vs. Hyper Knuckles issue 1, and issue 40. And don't worry, I'm not continuing this joke anymore. I just wanted to stress how insanely tedious it is whenever Sonic does a super peel-out or zones are brought up. Anyway, Sonic uses gravity to get the upper hand, launching himself from Condorbot into the waste disposal room before the doors close. Robotnik is moving the Death Egg towards Angel Island, thus alerting Knuckles and the Chaotix. Knuckles and the Chaotix crew, plus Archimedes, begin a counterattack, but quickly flee as the Death Egg begins ramming itself into a mountain on Angel Island, with Robotnik pumping the thrusters in an attempt to drive the floating island into the sea. I think it's because he wants the Chaos Emeralds, but what the fuck? <laughs> Meanwhile, in issue 3, Sonic and Tails' separate infiltrations of the Death Egg intersect as Sonic kicks the shit out of Tails, thinking that he's a regular SWAT bot. After the two catch up with what's been going on, Sonic makes to confront Robotnik, but is blocked off by the plexiglass that Robotnik drops in front of him, and deadly gash begins filling the room that Sonic is in. Tails busts into Robotnik's side of the room, having apparently left the Death Egg and flown all the way around to crash into the eye of the Death Egg, and then proceeds to destroy all the consoles in the room. 
This causes the plexiglass to rise, as well as the thrusters to malfunction, sending the Death Egg rapidly launching itself back into space. Robotnik makes to flee using his gravity gauntlets to allow him to move despite the rapid ascension, and makes to leave for his auxiliary control room. Robotnik stops the rapid ascent of the Death Egg, I think, and sticks his newest creation on Sonic to buy for time to repair the Death Egg, a giant mecha doppelganger of Sonic, referred to here as Silver Sonic, aka the Sonic robot from Sonic 2, which we will now refer to as Mecha Sonic Mark 1 from here on out, because the long lineage of Sonic robots will never not be confusing. Sonic is overpowered by Mark 1, but thinks quickly and makes him step on exposed electric wires, frying him and rendering him inoperable. Robotnik, however, has a last-ditch effort, an exoskeleton, uh, exoskeleton, that is psionically linked to the Death Egg itself, making him powerful beyond compare. Sonic catches him off guard, however, having hopped into Mark 1 and reactivated him, literally piloting him like a giant mecha, which is absolutely amazing. <laughs> the two trade blows and Robotnik is eventually defeated, being flung into orbit. Sonic and Tails quickly grab as many rings as they can and escape the Death Egg before it explodes. The issue ends with slapstick bits about Robotnik finding out what Snively did to Robotropolis. Issue 42 begins with Sonic and Knuckles fighting again because Sonic's trying to get Knuckles to fork over the spare Chaos Emerald as a backup in case the rings from before don't work out. Sonic lies about collecting rings from the grotto in order to try and coerce Knuckles into giving him the Emerald, but he still refuses. The next day, the Freedom Fighters speculate their options, with Uncle Chuck positing that they may need, quote, a magical talisman to cure King Acorn's condition. Sally backs that up, revealing that the crown of acorns, the very crown King Acorn wears, might be just that. Sonic briefly posits that he was wearing a crown when he was banished into the Zone of Silence, but is reassured that this was a fake crown that was made as a decoy. Sonic, Tails, and Sally make to a meeting with the Spy Network to make sure Robotnik doesn't know the location of one of the ring lakes that Antoine and Bunny found off-panel during the Sonic Quest miniseries. However, they run into Sleuth Doggy Dog instead of Fly Fly Freddy and quickly learn the reason why. Sleuth Doggy Dog has betrayed the Freedom Fighters, being promised power and T-bone steaks by Robotnik, and has sold out Fly Fly Freddy to be roboticized. The Freedom Fighters are ambushed by SWAT bots, but are quickly able to fight them off, thanks to the intervention of Bunny Rabot and Knuckles, the latter of which with Chaos Emerald in tow. It's revealed that Uncle Chuck had suspected that one of the spies in their network had turned traitor, and called upon Knuckles for assistance. Unfortunately, however, the Chaos Emerald only worsens the King's condition, though only temporarily. Stumped for ideas, Sonic tries to use one of his power rings for knowledge instead of power, and learns that King Acorn's royal sword and royal crown are magically linked together, thus finding one will lead to the other. Knuckles, sympathizing with Sally losing her father, as an editor's note reminds us that Knuckles doesn't know his father's alive, <laughs> sets off to try and find a sword for her. We will lump Knuckles' attempts to find a sword in a mini Knuckles zone later. In issue 43, Dr. Quack rushes into the ER, checking in on the condition of King Acorn, having brought Rotor along to try and use a cell regenerator to stop the crystallization process from furthering. Sonic, for some reason, is extremely antagonistic to Quack throughout the entire issue, constantly doubting everything he does and says. 
His constant lack of confidence in Dr. Quack causes an argument, which is match-cut into a flashback of a child Sonic arguing with the child Sally, only to be broken up by King Acorn, who sends them off as he discusses things with one warlord, Julian, whom we quickly realize is, in fact, Robotnik. King Acorn tells Julian that they're to hold a reception to commemorate the latter's promotion to Minister of Science and approves of Julian's plan to dismantle the military, something Julian implies through coyness that he had already gone through. Julian begins his uprising, overthrowing King Acorn and banishing him to the Zone of Silence, declaring himself to now be titled Robotnik. Julela, whom Sally's mentor from before, rushes Sally and Sonic into the palace to find Rosie, Sally's nanny, also from before, and escorts them all to safety. Back in the present day, Jeffrey arrives and two continue to bicker again because that's all the two ever do. <laughs> Quack comes in to check up on King Acorn as Sally notices something seems to be bothering him. Sonic insults Quack, Jeffrey insults Sonic, and Camilla begins questioning her life choices that led her to this point. King... <laughs> Quack's me... <laughs> I forgot I wrote that. Um... Quack's musings on the king's condition once again cut to a flashback in which Robotnik shows off the roboticizer to King Acorn before escorting him to the Zone of Silence. Back in the present, King Acorn begins screaming in anguish and Dr. Quack explains that the flashbacks are in fact the king trying to remember his past. Quack pulls out a, quote, electroencelographic memory inducer, or dream watcher for short, and explains that the device should allow its user to link with another individual in the dream zone, and Sonic and Jeffrey flip a coin to decide who should go in, completely ignoring the fact that both Sally, you know, the daughter of King Acorn, as well as Tails had also volunteered to join and use the dream zone. The coin lands in Sonic's favor and he heads in. Sonic meets up with King Acorn in the dream zone, which appears to resemble the Zone of Silence. The two are quickly accosted by various figures of King Acorn's past, including the brutish warlord Kodos, and a giant panda known as Feist, the latter of which quickly vaporizes the former and prepares to do the same with Sonic and King Acorn. Sonic recaps the general plot up to this point to get the king up to speed and explains that the reason the king doesn't recall being rescued is that he lost his memory during his encounter with Feist. How Sonic knows this is not explained and urges King Acorn to get well so that he can help restore Mobotropolis, before the two wake up from the dream, revealing that the crystallization process has stopped and the king can be moved to the rehab ward to recover. Jumping ahead to issue 46, a flashback reveals that Uncle Chuck in this continuity had in fact invented the roboticizer, but with the intent on trying to better the lives of Mopians through the means of mechanical augmentation, only for things to go awry and fully roboticize people instead, the first victim of such being his brother, whom we later learn to be named Jules. The flashback in question is shown to be projected by Uncle Chuck himself, who reveals that he has the power to do so through recent augmentations he's done on himself. Tails and Delcy make tasteless theater jokes. The reason he replayed his own traumatic memories, however, is to show the other Freedom Fighters that he found recordings from the former Royal Palace's secret surveillance system, one of which revealing that Robotnik had in fact sabotaged the roboticizer for his own nefarious purposes. At the group's campfire powwow, Uncle Chuck continues and explains that he resigned as scientific advisor for the kingdom out of guilt for what he had unwittingly done, and that's why he became a chili dog salesperson. He beats him up for being too late on the draw to realize Sleuth Doggy Dog's betrayal, as well as the unveiling of the Death Egg, 
but is cut off by the sound of howling, as is revealed that the wolf pack, featured in Sat.I.M. Season 2, Episode 10, have stumbled upon them. The wolf pack and the Freedom Fighters discuss intel on Robotnik, discussing some sort of new, ultra-powerful weapon that's being built, only for Drago to complain about Uncle Chuck's presence as a robot, surmising that he may be a spy. A constipated-looking Jeffrey steps in to make out with Sally, as well as throw on more shade onto Uncle Chuck, stating that he's been stalking Uncle Chuck the whole time, and that the agent who found the video was Sleuth Doggy Dog himself. Arguments ensue and escalate, and Jeffrey and Sonic end up throwing hands, only for Antoine, of all people, to intervene. Antoine accuses Jeffrey of being a traitor, expositing his backstory and saying that his father, Moetropolis's top general and close friend of King Acorn, had convinced the king of the need for a rebel underground, with Antoine being a cadet in training, only for said general to be roboticized Robotnik long before the Rebel Underground was ever actually formed, meaning that Jeffrey's leadership of the Rebel Underground is highly suspicious. Tails muses that he never realized that Antoine was never actually a real soldier, and Sonic explains that the uniform is a tribute to his father, and that he was too young to be a soldier by the time Robotnik took over. Bunny adds in that Antoine actually used to be very courageous, but lost his way either due to his love for Sally being unrequited, or for the aforementioned loss of his father. Either way, Antoine storms off and leaves, only to be kissed by Bunny, who seems to harbor feelings for him as previous exposition revealed that he had saved her life at some point. Meanwhile, Drago- Before being roboticized, yeah. I might add. Yeah, before being roboticized, but we'll get into that. Right. Um, Meanwhile, Drago returns to the campfire after having mysteriously been absent for the third time this week. More arguing breaks out, and Sally has to break them up once more, remarking that she hopes Knuckles is successful in his quest to find the King's Sword, which takes us into a miniature Knuckles zone. Back to issue 42, Knuckles and Tails are making their way to Down Under to look for Athair and the Ancient Walkers, and an argument ensues between the two echidnas as Knuckles is upset with Athair for shirking responsibility for guarding the Emerald, and Athair upset that Knuckles thinks protecting the island is more important than protecting the entire universe. Knuckles shrugs it off, calling his racist grandfather's rambling as mystic psychobabble but quickly gets pulled alongside Tails into the realm of the Ancient Walkers. They proceed to exposit on Knuckles' quest, saying that the Chaos Emeralds will not help them, but they instead need to seek out the beings of power that they speak in cryptic poetic bullshit about. A sorcerer cat, wizard bird, alchemist horse, as well as a charlatan fox, enchantress rabbit, and paladin also horse, of course, of course. Knuckles sets off alone to seek out these figures. In Sonic Live Issue 1, which we haven't covered yet, but we will later, don't worry about it, Knuckles finds himself in a secluded section of the Great Forest, fighting off various illusory fairy tale creatures, before finally confronting the charlatan behind those illusions himself. Who then tells him that he knows nothing other than go try and find the Land of Dark, I guess. He sends Knuckles off, not before revealing his name to be Merlin Prowler. In issue 45, Knuckles gets accosted by the sorcerer and enchantress, and is forced by magic to become a willing servant of the two. He thinks back to the words of the Ancient Walkers, and surmises that the enchantress wouldn't be powerful on her own, and that he can easily dispatch of her if the two were separated. 
He's unfortunately unable to break from the spell, however, and days go by only for the paladin horse, Sir Connery, to eventually burst through a wall Kool-Aid Man style, causing Enchantress to fail her saving throw and drop concentration on her spell, allowing for Knuckles to fight off the two alongside Sir Connery. Knuckles asks Connery if he wants to join him, but Connery refuses, saying that his patron deities, the Ancient Walkers, have tasked him with pursuing evil magicians for the time being, but gives Knuckles the tip to pursue Matthias, Poe, and Damocles the Elder, who are somewhere on Angel Island. Issue 46 has Knuckles making his way through the various caverns of Angel Island, only to trip on a skeleton and fall deeper down. He stumbles upon the wizard Matthias and alchemist Damocles, and a fight ensues, with Matthias making what we're going to just call a metal construct to combat Knuckles. Knuckles surmises that this construct is being magically powered by Matthias' concentration, and that were it to break, he'd have an opening to destroy said construct. Archimedes steps in to provide that very break in concentration, and berates Knuckles for not realizing that Damocles, who hasn't been moving at all at this point, is actually a dummy that served as a magical focus, and after having potions spilled on it, reveals that it was in fact the Sword of Acorns, having been disguised as Damocles the entire time. Knuckles is surprised that the sword isn't leading him to the clown. The clown? <laughs> the clown! <laughs> Man, I wish there was a clown in this story. I'll be careful what you wish for, my sweet summer child. This... Knuckles is surprised that the sword doesn't lead him to the crown, but after being reassured by Archimedes that it might just only work on royalty, proceeds to head off to give the sword to Sally. We then go back to Super Special Issue 1. The Freedom Fighters head off for Angel Island to retrieve the Sword of Acorn, only to be attacked by the Chaotix crew, who remarked that Knuckles had ordered to send them packing without the sword. Elsewhere, the Chaotix crew instead are assaulted by the Freedom Fighters, who claim that Knuckles has been holding off on giving a sword to them for a month, and that this time they'll be taking it by force. The fights separate the two from each other, and eventually they regroup in one massive clash. Archimedes and Sally try to warn their respective parties that something is amiss, but these warnings seemingly fall on deaf ears. The two make vague remarks about hoping a plan works, and Dulcie and Archimedes both blow fire at each other, causing a massive explosion. We then cut to Mammoth Mogul, now possessing the Sword of the Acorn, who gloats over his victory, explaining that he was only secretly pretending to lose in Mecha Madness issue 1, and that Knuckles finding the Sword of the Acorn meant everything had fallen according to his plan. He finally explains his real and true honest master scheme, that he's using his psionic abilities that he's always had this entire time, trust me, to hijack the transmissions between the Chaotix crew and Freedom Fighters, and then disguise his squad, of which I'm not remembering the names of, but I'm also not going to look them up, as the Freedom Fighters and Chaotix crew to send their respective opposites into fights so that the two of them would eventually meet up and destroy each other. The Freedom Fighters and Chaotix crew, however, instead swarm Mammoth Mogul and his goons, explaining that they realized what was going on and started a diversion, being the explosion from earlier, to give them time to figure out what to do next. A fight ensues, for some reason tearing a hole in Mammoth Mogul's pants, but the crew struggle against him, only for Archimedes to gamble and touch the spare Chaos Emerald to the Emerald on Mammoth Mogul's staff, causing a massive explosion that only destroys him? 
Knuckles gets knighted and the Freedom Fighters return to Knothole, only to find that King Acorn is alive and well with no signs of crystallization. Elsewhere, Mammoth Mogul reveals that he was secretly only pretending to lose earlier in this issue, and that everything has fallen according to his master plan. The story ends with him gloating that he holds the real sword of acorns, as the panel puts a bit too much focus on the tear in his pants revealing his underwear. Issue 47 kicks off Endgame as the Freedom Fighters and Wolfpack have begun a large-scale infiltration of Robotropolis. Sally recaps the story up to this point, but continues on explaining that King Acorn had caught wind of Robotnik planning his most devastating attack yet, and demands that Sally accompany Sonic on their mission, believing him to be a traitor. These suspicions are seemingly confirmed as, while Sally uses a rope to descend one of Robotropolis' many skyscrapers, the Freedom Fighters elsewhere witness Sonic cutting the rope and dropping Sally several stories to the ground where she lay unmoving. The other Freedom Fighters quickly mobilize and stage a full-scale assault on Robotropolis, providing cover fire while the main group rescues Sally. Elsewhere, Sonic is confronting Robotnik but is unable to stop him from escaping and detonating the command center with Sonic inside. Sonic, however, survives the explosion and though he finds the rendezvous point empty, heads back to Knothole where he finds shocking news. Sally Acorn is dead and Sonic has been arrested for murder. We briefly cut to an exchange between Drago the Wolf and Hershey the Cat, in which Drago reveals that he was, in fact, a traitor, and the issue ends with Sonic being sent to the Devil's Gulag for life imprisonment. Robotic and Snively laugh as we get the story's title, with Robotnik gloating that Sonic the Hedgehog is finally taking the fall. Issue 48 has us briefly cutting to the Freedom Fighters who aren't taking the news well. Uncle Chuck vehemently denies Sonic's treason, something that Rosie seems to agree with, cryptically stating that things are not always what they seem. Dulcie is here, trying to find comfort that Sally's at peace, but bemoans the situation, wondering how Sonic will live with what he's done. Sonic is put in a plane to be escorted to the Devil's Gulag, only for the plane to get ambushed by SWAT bots and crash. The SWAT bots investigate the wreckage, only for Sonic to break free and attack in what is the clunkiest title drop we've seen thus far, in which Sonic just yells his name out as he kicks his SWAT bot in the face. The narration goes into extensive detail of Sonic's mental state, saying that the aforementioned yelling his name out were the last words he uttered in his fight, and that for the first time in his life, Sonic truly understands the meaning of war as he goes on a mental autopilot rushing off to try and find answers. Back in Knothole, Drago informs the king that Sonic has escaped, and King Acorn sets Jeffrey off to find Sonic. We cut back to Sonic, who's hiding in a cave and trying to make sense of the situation. He explains that Uncle Chuck was highly suspicious of what's going on, being refused the medical reports of Sally from Dr. Quack, and being refused further by the king who, when he was pleading to try and see the reports. Sonic promptly passes out from exhaustion shortly after. We cut back again to Knothole, in which Antoine and Bunny are spying on Drago, with the former suspecting him to be a traitor due to his continued distance from the wolf pack, as well as the fact that he and Jeffrey have been the only two that the King has been having a private audience with in the past few days, and not any of the other Freedom Fighters. 
And then Antoine's suspicions are confirmed in a frankly repulsive scene of Drago verbally and physically abusing Hershey, who's implied to be his girlfriend, for wanting out of his plans of betraying the Freedom Fighters. The two continue to trail Drago as he leaves, but get knocked out by him and are sent off to Down Under. Meanwhile, King Acorn gathers the other Freedom Fighters together and declares that, Though they've been valiant and heroic thus far, their efforts have been futile and that they need a new warlord to be instated if they're to reclaim Mobotropolis. This new warlord is revealed to be Robotnik. Sonic and Jeffrey end up meeting in the cave and begin fighting over Sally for the billionth time Lottie fucking da. The issue ends with Sonic getting the better of Jeffrey and escaping via jumping a waterfall. Issue 49 continues the reveal of King Acorn betraying the group by having it revealed by Robotnik to be part of his plans the whole time, as the King Acorn we believe to be featured within this arc has actually been a robotic duplicate, with Dr. Quack being an accomplice due to his family being held hostage. Robotnik boasts of his ultimate weapon, one capable of destroying all life on Mobius being nearly functional and Snively elsewhere gives Dr. Quack his next set of instructions, something not told to the audience, but seems to involve the real King Acorn. Drago continues to verbally and physically abuse Hershey, explaining the truth behind Sally's death. <sighs> Hershey was told to dress as Sonic and cut the rope that Snively was apparently supposed to be climbing down, not realizing that the fake Sonic suit that she was wearing had secret technology in the eyepiece that made it so that any person she looked at instead looked like Snively. We cut back to Bunny and Antoine and reveal that the Down Under Freedom Fighters have also been captured, but also brutally tortured and left in chains. Crockbot returns, having fully been rebuilt post-explosion to now more closely resemble his menacing 90s extreme appearance back from Tails Issue 3's cover, with his lower half now just being a tank. This part doesn't really go anywhere just yet, other than the fact that Antoine has a bomb collar that'll go off if Bunny uses her bionic appendages in any way. Sonic continues to flee from Jeffrey, summoning Dulcie to fly off for Angel Island, only to get attacked by Knuckles once more, as well as Jeffrey as he catches up with Sonic. We then get into the final issue, issue 50, but specifically the director's cut version as featured in Sonic Super Special issue 6. The story begins with a flashback of Julian, revealed to be from the House of Ivo, escaping from two human pursuers, firing lasers at him with intent on executing him for an undisclosed failure before their minister. Julian escapes, but is worse for wear. Two Mobian hedgehogs, Charles and Jules, remark that it's surprising that the Overlanders, or humans, had turned on one of their own, but that, against Charles's better judgment, quote, considering what his kind has done, he may be, quote, what they need to win the war. Julian sells out his own people to King Acorn and is promoted to Warlord of Mobotropolis, and he and the Mobians stage a direct attack on the Overlanders. It's revealed that this flashback was a dream, one that SWATBOT's comment must have been a rather positive one, and Robotnik is woken up to test his newest weapon on an unwilling volunteer, an Overlander male who was captured by the SWATBOTs. 
The weapon quickly atomizes the terrified Overlander, and Robotnik gloats over his victory. All the while, Snively taunts him in an internal monologue, saying, We'll see who has the last laugh yet. Back on Angel Island, the fight between Sonic and Jeffrey is broken up by Dulcie, who reveals that dragons cannot tell lies. Or, in other words, everything that a dragon speaks is the truth. There's absolutely no need to doubt it. Dulcie confirms that Sonic is innocent, and the group head off for Knothole. Meanwhile, at the Down Under Slave Labor Camps, Bunny somehow uses Antoine's bomb collar to blow open the door without killing anyone. It's actually shown in Super Special Number 4 where these Bunny and Antoine scenes are actually taken from, that Barbie Koala had used her claws to lockpick the bomb collar, and that's how they were able to separate it and use it as a bomb to blow open the door. I'm not entirely sure why that specific page was not added to this director's cut, but more likely than not, it was probably just because of page limitations of having to abide by a 48-page layout. And the Down Under Freedom Fighters stage an uprising while Antoine and Bunny head off for Robotropolis. At Knothole, Tails and Rotor are captured by Drago, but get freed by Sonic, Knuckles, and Jeffrey. Drago flees, and Sonic is quick to pursue him. Drago, however, is stopped by Hershey, who proceeds to brutalize him for all the harm he's caused her, beating him within an inch of his life, only to be knocked out instead of being outright killed. Sonic comforts Hershey and speeds off to confront Robotnik. Snively requests to Robotnik that he take on Sonic himself, but is quickly dispatched by the Hedgehog's speed and wit. Sonic runs into Antoine and Bunny, who explain what they've learned in their own subplot that we've been skipping up to this point. Robotnik intends to use his newest weapon, the Ultimate Annihilator, to obliterate Knothole as a test run before destroying the rest of Mobius. Antoine and Bunny plan on using some of the irradiated ore taken from Down Under, which was also used to power the Ultimate Annihilator, to blow up the machine from the inside and are willing to sacrifice themselves for the greater good if it comes to that. Sonic rushes off to confront Robotnik and buy more time, but is too late. The Ultimate Annihilator is fired, completely destroying Knothole, a crater left in its wake. Sonic snaps, destroying all of Robotnik's SWAT bots and engages in a standoff between him and the Doctor. Alerts blast on the nearby computers as Antoine and Bunny's bombing run has started a chain reaction that is all but guaranteed a massive explosion of energy that will destroy the very war room that Robotnik and Sonic are standing in. Neither of them care. With both of them feeling as though they have nothing left to lose, they engage in a massive fistfight, trading blow after blow, before ultimately culminating in an incredible splash page from Patrick Spaziante of Sonic strangling Robotnik as the Ultimate Annihilator detonates with them inside. We get a page of a white void, before Sonic's hand emerges from a portal, the rest of him following suit. He's surprised that he survives, but passes out shortly after. He wakes up in the Knothole Infirmary, and both Rotor and Dr. Quack explain the situation. Because the village was hit before the Ultimate Annihilator overloaded, Knothole now exists in a temporal rift three hours in the future, almost like a zone of its own. Robotnik had also apparently created many new zones as a result of the Ultimate Annihilator. 
Quack explains that Robotnik's plan began because Robotnik had detected a neutron chip in the Dream Watcher from issue 43 and had begun using Quack as an unwilling accomplice, not knowing that Snively had secretly tinkered with the ultimate annihilator to destroy only Robotnik instead of anyone else. Sally is revealed to be alive with her open translucent casket actually just being a stasis tube and Sonic rushes over, kissing Princess Sally. The epilogue narration reveals that Dr. Quack and Hershey were exonerated of their crimes, Jeffrey is reinstated as Secret Service Commander, Drago has been sent to the Devil's Gulag with the promise that he has a snowball's chance in hell of ever being freed, and Snively's plans are left to be explored in future issues. Oh boy. Christ. Jesus Where to start? Fucking Christ. Okay. Let's just you let's just double back, I guess. Issue forty one, the one where they go into the zone of silence Good to Lord, this art looks save bad. the king of corn. Yeah, the art is absolutely atrocious. <laughs> like I was thinking, oh, it starts off interesting with like interesting page layouts and the like, but then the art just rapidly falls apart, getting worse <laughs> and worse. Yeah, great start for us a batch of like this really like stiff like ugly art and also i noticed a trend at least i maybe it started like i think it might start in like the last batch but like just the way that sally's drawn is weird to me from like a like lot the of proportions yeah the proportions i mean like it just feels weird like you can put aside just like she's 14 and they're drawing her like that it's also just the fact that like it looks weird next to, like, cartoony, like, ra- round little Sonic and slightly more, cart- uh, slightly less cartoonish Jeffrey and, like, goddamn, like, Chungus Rotor, who looks, Rotor has become, like, <laughs> weirdly very egg-shaped. I don't know. Yeah, Rotor just, Rotor just gets, like, really fat in some issues and not even, like, as, like, a joke, just as a matter of the art being inconsistent. <laughs> Like, jumping ahead to, like, the next, uh, like, next numerical issue, the cover for it also kind of makes him look like that. Like, it's not very consistent on his proportions, either. Yeah, the proportions in this batch are just completely inconsistent. Like, half the time people will just have, like, 90s furry anthro proportions, and it's really uncanny. And it also, it doesn't help in this issue, there's a lot of points where, like, Sonic's head, it looks like it's just... Way too big. Way too big, and like just not working right. Like, like a, a panel, like he, I have saved, like where he's like his body's going like to the right, and his head is looks like it's still like in like upright position. So it looks just weird to me. It's not very expressive. Like they're not very expressive too, and there's also a lot of weird issues with the coloration of eyes in some panels. Like there's one in particular yeah. that I love of like King Acorn's blank wall-eyed expression that means unmasked. Duh. <laughs> a lot of, there's a lot of like wall-eyed like fish looks in this issue, especially from Sonic. Uh, but yeah, yeah, not a great start. Not a great start at all. I was, I was just like, man, like, I knew, because I read the sum- summary for this in advance, mm-hmm. what was going on, but it was still just, like, a very weird issue in the sense that it just feels like it's just confusing and also 
filled to the brim with just Jeffrey and Sonic bickering at each other yeah. because that's all they do. I'm, I'm, this is kind of what I was dreading, like, from the very start. Before, before even this podcast, like, with getting into Archie, was just love triangle BS, as I put it during set AM. Like, I, love triangles in general are just not something that I care for. Like, very rarely have I ever felt like they've been done well. Like, I can count on one hand the amount of love triangles I've liked in any media I've seen. But with this in particular, with, like, goddamn Sonic and creepy-ass Jeffrey... I think I brought this up during the Sadi M as well. That, like, part of an issue I have with Sonic and a lot of these, like, Sadi M, Archie, Underground, is that he's constantly starting shit with everyone, even if it's, like, I get it. He's, like, he's got an attitude and all, like, and I understand, like, him being, like, kind of a cocky jerk sometimes, but, like, he's constantly, like, starting shit with people, or people, like, just, con- I, uh, it gets. Yeah, he's, he's just an annoying dickhead half the time, and it's just so annoying to get through. Yeah, like, he's just on aggro so often. Like, it's not, like, a fun kind of aggro. Like, he's not, like... It's not usually with the villains he's getting mad with. Like, it's either, like, the rivals or, like, his love interest or, like, his sometimes his friends or just, like, even random people. Like, it's fucking annoying. Did you see the part where Nicole flirted with Sally, though? Wait, what? I actually didn't realize that. Wait, what? Uh, Nicole, there was one point where Nicole had like done a bit of like a snark at Sally. And Sally's like, just what we need. A computer with wet. And then Nicole responds, if you want charm, see me later. And I'm like, I- is she coming on to Sally? <laughs> like, I'll take it over fucking Sun Alley or Jeff Hourly. Jeff yeah. I also, guess. at one point, we talked about coloring issues, but there was at one point where we got the return of the mighty pantsless Sonic, <laughs> in which his legs were skin toned. Oh god, ew! I didn't even notice that. Also, there's one panel at the end of like Tails pointing to the portal as Sonic's coming out, and it just looks so ugly to me. He's got like the fucking soy jack point going on, <laughs> and like the last panel of like just like the uh, Jeffrey Sally. King Acorn, <laughs> Chungus Rotor, and Sonic. Just, like, it looks so fucking bad. You got, like, this really buff-looking Jeffrey. <laughs> King Acorn's laying flat on his back, like, stiff as a board. <laughs> Rotor looks fucking fat as hell. And, like, Sonic's in, like, an, like a default, like... I feel like a pose from, like, a reference sheet, almost. Also, just... <sighs> what is going on with Jeffrey's accent? Because I didn't even pick up at, on it. Like, at one point, like, we all know he's meant to be British. He's, a, like, a secret agent spy. That's the point. But then, at one point in the previous batch of issues, they say he's Australian. <laughs> and then he starts speaking Australian. But in this issue, he calls someone a bloke. Meaning that he's being back to being British again. And it was just so confusing to me that his accent just keeps changing... I don't understand what nationality he's supposed to be anymore. Maybe he's just faking it. Maybe he's just faking the accents. And he's, <laughs> he's just got an American accent, yeah. He's just pretending I, I genuinely could believe that, given how much of a womanizer is. Like, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't for Antoine's existence that he'd start pulling, like, a French accent out of nowhere. 
Yeah. And I keep uh, beyond tune. I was going to say two on the nose, but like this is Archie Sonic we're talking about for him doing say. a French accent as a skunk. Being Sonic calling him Pepe Le Pew or something like that. I think Antoine or Sonic calls him Pepe or something like that in a Yeah, and, uh, Antoine calls him Pepe during uh, Endgame Part 2. Hmm. All right. well, I remember that because I was trying to recap stuff and also being very uncomfortable about the things going on there, which we'll get to in a bit. Right. Want to move on to um, Sonic Quest? Yeah, Sonic Quest... Uh, I mean, I thought it was pretty neat. I yeah. liked the whole death egg stuff. It was, like, it like, I mean, it was basically just an excuse to put the death egg in. But I did like how they actually tried to find a reason to tie it into the ongoing plot rather than just I've invented the death egg. Come just, and get me, Sonic, and just that's like it. In you know? Sonic and Sonic Three and Knuckles play it on your Sega Genesis consoles or some shit like that. Yeah. Also, for some reason. The death egg is slightly orbular, like no orbular. That's not even a word, Cammy. But it's like it's not. What's the word? Like oval? it's not spherical. Oh yeah, it's more of an oval. Like because I guess they took the egg, egg part and made it literal, and just looks a bit weird. Like it doesn't even like look like shaped enough to actually look like egg like. It just looks like you slightly skewed it at an angle <laughs> and made it look a bit off in your image mm. editor. I did like the bit where we see the cockpit with Robotnik piloting it, and there's just fuzzy dice and a magic eight ball. Yeah, <laughs> that was the really magic funny. Eight ball, like gear shift. Oh yeah, on the, on the Prindle. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what video I've been watching. <laughs> but yeah, like genuinely, like I, I got on Gal Girl a lot in like the last batch or two, but like. I think this is some of his best work yet. Like, it didn't... The humor yeah, Gallagher's really improving. Definitely, yeah. Like, I had gripes with him, even in Mecha Madness, and I felt like the gags and references were a little on the nose and a little distracting. But, like, here, like, besides, like, the dumb little bit of Snively running Snivopolis, well, Robotnik's way, which even didn't bug me that much. Like, it got a few chuckles out of me here and there. I felt like he was better pacing on that. Like, I, lo- I love the action sequence, honestly. Like... Well, yeah, kind of a rare thing for me to say about like his early comics, but like the, the fucking like bit that got me the most excited though was, goddamn like mono y mono like Sonic and the Mecha the, Mecha Silver Def Egg Robot Sonic and Mark One yeah Mark One's uh, Mecha Sonic and Robotnik and I'm his gonna bag. have to condition oh. you. I'm gonna have to condition you for this, given it's gonna be important for the for the tabletop as well, but. <laughs> Yeah, like, Robotnik in his, like, bionic armor. Like, that shit was gently fucking cool to see. Like, I love the idea of Robotnik actually going, like, forgoing, like, a mech suit on, like, or, like, his usual Eggmobiles and stuff and actually fighting Sonic hand-to-hand. That shit was genuinely cool to see. I was just, like... Yeah. I felt like Tails wasn't as, like, annoying as he was in, like, the Tails miniseries. Like, he's competent. Like, he's, like get some fun moments with Sonic like he like has like the stuff with him taking over the SWAT bot suit and like doing some shit with that like genuinely like pretty good stage with like the I forget why Angel like I guess like Angel floating island was getting destroyed just because Robotnik was noticing like his burrow bots they sent out were getting fucked up so he decided fuck it I'm just gonna destroy the island well, I, I mentioned it before, is that he's trying to get the Chaos right. Emeralds, and so I figure he was trying to sink the island and basically kill everyone on it, and then get the Emeralds. Mm, fair. Yeah, like, 
pretty damn good, like, mini-series. Like, I didn't have, like, any expectations going into this, like, since, like, I didn't really under... I, the only thing I really have to say, like, I don't understand why this is a mini-series. Like, I guess because it's kind of disconnected from the... Uh, yeah, it's probably just because it's covering yeah. the Death Egg as, like, a storyline there, and they wanted to just keep it separate. I suppose. Well, um, one I, thing I did like about the covers, though, is that they end up having the Genesis stripes on the side, like, oh, yeah. the Genesis box art on the side, and I thought that was really cute, even if it is also, for some reason, implying that Sonic Quest Issue 1 is a game for the uh, Game Gear. <laughs> Sonic Quest Issue 2 is for either the... Yeah, I think it's a CD, because it's blue. And then Sonic <laughs> Quest 3 is for the Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really pick up on that. I kind of see, like, the resemblance for, like, the uh sega boxes but yeah i didn't even think of like which represent which they represented yeah issue uh sonic quest issue 3 has also got a pretty sick cover because it's a uh, riffing on the sonic yeah, and Knuckles title screen yeah. <laughs> the only thing i don't get is like the sonic questing like it feels like that's like i know eventually we will get like something like this like the Sonic universe, but like it's I don't know, the name Sonic Quest just makes it feel like it's a it should be like a reoccurring thing. But this is the only instance we get of like a Quest mini series. Yeah, I don't really get why it's a separate thing, but other than like trying to figure, I guess it's just a separate story. Yeah. Um, there is one page I really wanted to talk about in Quest Two, in which um Sonic is attacking Condor Bot. And it had some really interesting compositions that I was actually, like, pleasantly yeah. surprised about, given how, like, you know, how blase and, like, basic all the compositions are. But, like, it's one page where the entire background is just half of the Death Egg, oh, like, yeah. in the sky. And each panel is just a different point in time as Sonic is breaking free from Condor Bart... Condor Bart? From Condor Bot and a fight is ensuing... And I actually thought that was genuinely a pretty clever composition. I do really like, um, like, that's one thing I've noticed in comics recently, as I've been reading a lot, is sometimes people will just use, like, one solid background contiguous across multiple panels and just have the characters in each panel because of the, like, time still advancing. I always thought that was, like, a cute little thing. It hmm. definitely plays, like... <laughs> Man, I'm we're really just becoming the faux homestuck made this world, but it plays with like what Scott McCloud talked about in I believe it was Understanding Comics about how the passage of time is something that is like very loose and like free willing depending on like how the author wants it to be. Mm -hmm. Which I think is a really interesting concept to read about. Like I'm not doing it the most justice by like pulling it up apropos of nothing, but I do recommend like if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of like making comics and just learning the history of comics, I do recommend Scott McCloud's trilogy of books. It's honestly a fantastic read, hmm. and it's also in the form of comics because it's a little cute thing right there. <laughs> Why is Vector Zakora? Did you notice that? I just kind of assume, oh, because, like, he's rhyming. Like, I just kind of assume, like, it's because, like, he has headphones, so they're just going to write him as, like, he's hip. He's rapping. Yeah. yeah I just, like, I get that, 
but it only happens here, and I was like, what the hell? I feel like there were some <laughs> other instances, like, even this patch or, like, the last one where, like, he does, like, some rhymes on a dime shit, and I, I really don't like how they write Vector. It's just yeah, no. so... And it's not just because, like, uh, I'm used to modern Vector. Like, no, I just don't like this writing style this for tedious. Vector. Like, I'll get to it in Super Special Sick, because that's where it really started to be noticeable and obnoxious to me. Super Special 1? Uh, yeah, Super Special 1. I mean, Super Special 6 with the uh, director's End cut. Game. Manny Galan's art was actually pretty yeah. decent. Like, I gave it shit in issue, what, 38, I think it was. Yeah. Um, about how it just looked super fucking creepy half the time where characters are just <laughs> super, like, detailed or off-model for no good reason. But honestly, it looked pretty alright for half the time, even though there were some stinkers, like Sonic squinting his eyes, staring out into the distance. <laughs> but honestly, at points, it did just look similar to Full Up in, which is just very much riffing on, like, Japanese Sonic art, and so it's like, yeah... We're finally getting parody with the games and art, and it's, like, actually pretty nice. Yeah, like I said, like, really enjoyed just how this comic looks. Like, between, like, Gallagher's writing and, like, Galan's art, like, it's, like, we get some genuinely decent, like, action sequences, both, like, with, in terms of fights and, like, uh, just, like, escape sequences and stuff. Like, it's, like, was actually pretty engaging for once. I, I tend not to care for the fights sometimes, or just find them, like, poorly done oh yeah like generally pretty solid batch of issues like this along with the knuckles miniseries are definitely the best of them it's it's a shame that this is the last miniseries we'll be getting like yeah it's a bit weird how they just sort of stopped that but i can also like get yeah, why i imagine probably just because like they have like the super special like along with miniseries like it might just been like either wasn't worth it for na- financially or it might have just been like a little too messy, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't yeah, really understand I mean, and also, like, I, I don't mind saying this, given it's, like, common knowledge, but I do think it did basically get superseded by Sonic Universe, where they don't have to keep throwing shit at the mm. wall, seeing what Sonic characters are marketable. They can just, like, focus on other Sonic characters here and there and just have that as a separate series instead. Right. Uh, next issue. You mentioned it earlier, but, man... Mark 1 is so fucking cool here. <laughs> I I don't understand why they made him fucking gigantic, but I'm glad that they did and and decided to use that to make it so that Sonic literally pilots him like a mech. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, I was a little bummed that it was such a short fight, but like him taking over the mech afterwards was pretty damn cool. I'm also so disappointed, and I get why upon like reading it right now, that they the reason they don't have they don't keep it and continue to use it is because it probably got destroyed on like impact because they actually like jump out yeah. as they're escaping the I mean, death egg but it's like cool to have a mech suit that would be so fucking cool yeah <laughs> i wrote down t posing sally x vector and i don't know why i'm trying to think what that what that might be referring to. Like, I didn't have any screens, like, uh, save for this batch since I was reading it on the It might have been an old later one that I erroneously put here, but I think it was that, like... I think it was... Found it during editing. It's a bit of fan art in issue two from Angie Locker in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. 
It features Jeffrey, Antoine, Sonic, and Knuckles surprised to see that Sally is with Vector instead, and and the way they drew Sally makes it look like she's T-posing. I, I just thought it was really funny, and I'm so glad I found it in the nick of time. <laughs> Issue 42, the I, one I, in which... I was going to say, like, about the cover art for this. Just, it's Baziante and, uh, Baziante and someone else. Uh, Harvey Merck. Yes, it's, I can't it's Harvo. Harvo is the shorthand name they give right, him. Because I can't pronounce that last name. Just... Neither of us are going to pretend that we know how to pronounce the name, but yeah, Sonic uh, 42, a.k.a. the one in which Sleuth Doggy Dog comes back <laughs> and turns traitor. Yeah, I'll talk about it in just a fucking second. <laughs> yeah, like this cover, like, it's, I like Pesianski's style, but, like, the positions and some of the proportions just look so fucking weird. Like, Sonic looks fine. Like, he's front and center. But, like, then my eyes go over to Sally. What is she doing? <laughs> like, it reminded me of, like... Oh, my God. I never even noticed that. What the fuck? Yeah, it's like, it kind of <laughs> reminds me of, like, Samus... Uh, Zero Seed Samus's, like, a uh, flip kick thing. Like, I don't know. Like, it looks like she should be, like, hanging on to something or, like, doing a... a kickflip in air or something like you got like rotor doing whatever and that she's is just like sally's just actually broken her neck because you can yeah. see like what where the I, I don't know how to word this without sounding creepy but like the part like just the fur patch on her stomach at the very top so you can see right. she's actually like twisting around where her like body's like almost like sideways and her neck is just Basically, like, 180 degrees snapped, almost. Yeah, it's like a fucking, like, action figure with an articulation on, in the middle of the torso. Like, it looks weird. And then you have Tails, like, with his shoulders, like, up, uh, like, up, and his arms up, like, a uh, hand, like, stuck to the side with his propeller tails. Like, this confused look on his face. Like, he just, like, stepped in something he shouldn't have. Like, he just yeah. got, like, he's, like, a, like, posing. And you have, like, Bunny doesn't look too bad. Like, she's got the weird... Well, Bunny has the problem... Bunny has the problem that Spaziante has, where he has, like, characters, like, cocking their head back and yeah, having their mouth. mouth be way too big. Like, it is something that, like, I love Spaziante's art, but it is something that Spaziante is just constantly guilty of, and it looks creepy yeah. every time. I think I said that before. It's the frog mouth. <laughs> That's what I think, yeah, yeah. I think of. Antoine up on, like, the bottom right side of the corner, like, not corner, but, like, the right side of the cover, he looks fine, like, nothing too weird with him. You have Rotor's pose, which I guess he, like, he's meant to be, like, jumping down. Well, Rotor looks like he's almost about to collide with Sonic <laughs> and is trying to make his way back. Also, going back to Sonic, you said, like, it looks fine. It's a good pose, but it also looks like he's bringing his knee up to his chin, yeah. which looks incredibly painful. <laughs> also, furthermore, looking at it, it looks like his leg is connected to the side of his torso. Yeah. Uh, like an action again. I like an action figure with way too many articulations. Yeah. This fucking orbit. You fucking cognito. Seriously, she. Holy shit, you are snapping for something I, fierce. I didn't know about this beforehand, and I was, like, fucking lazing it, especially when he revealed that... I didn't realize he mentioned power. I just saw like he's getting T-bones from a robot, like, you fucking selfish dick. Like, I feel bad for ripping it to Ari. Like, at least he had, like, somewhat of a noble goal. He knows 
He was stupid to trust Robotnik. This dude's Throwing the like throwing away everything to, in the vain hope that he could get the fucking T bones? And I was thinking like the back of my mind, is this because Sonic won't have anything in the fridges except for fucking chili dogs? And because Rotor <laughs> can't make shit? Because like remember like the, he's making goop. Yeah, he's making weird like toxic goop meals while Sonic just is filling the fridge with nothing but his fucking chili dogs. Like he just snapped and just think that like I'm gonna get something different if I help the bad guys. You know, maybe Sleuth Doggy Dog had a point. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm sure that's not what they're intending, but God, like looking back on it, I think I might, that might be the reason why he betrayed the Freedom Fight. <laughs> oh my God, I fucking hate this character so much. And I, I genuinely wasn't thinking that. Like, I guess it makes sense because he's a spy, but it just feels so weird. And then it, Poor fucking Fly Fly Freddy, I suppose. Yeah, the guy that we forgot in the tier list comes back because he got roboticized. I love it, like, the, like we get, like, two nobodies that get roboticized. Like, Carl Condor, on his first appearance, like, apparently like, a good friend of, like, the team, like, got roboticized off-screen is now with a... Of robot, yeah, and now Fly Fly Freddy. Who I also didn't realize had two flies in his name. I thought I think I just thought it was like Sonic calling him Fly, but no, I think it was actually a part of his name. Because of course, yeah. I will at least say I did like the bit where Knuckles drops in to help with uh, the fight. Like I also wasn't expecting that and appreciated that. Like I thought at the moment, at least like finally they're burying the hatchet. Like and he's. Helping the heroes out. With no. Them. Nope. Because we gotta drag this. Just like with Shadow in the current days, like we gotta drag this relationship out. Uh, this relationship. This rivalry out for, like, marketing. Oh, Freudian slip there. <laughs> that was not intentional on my part. I'm not a Sonato shipper. I'm not the Sonato shipper Wait, of the podcast. You're the Sun Uckles. You're not the Sun uh, No, I'm not really Sun Knuckles fan either, really. I love Knuckles, yeah. but, like, eh. I'm not really a fan of, like, pairing them up with Sonic, but yeah, like, yeah. it is alright issue. I didn't really care for yeah. the Knuckles story. Like, oh, we'll get to the Knuckles story, I'm sure. Like, we'll get to the Knuckles right. story, But, like, yeah. the story itself, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I... I <laughs> the story did, however, start with one of the most pretentious narrations oh, yeah. I've ever seen from Scott Fulop, in which... And basically describes tyranny, what tyranny is, describes what war is, calling its soldiers freedom fighters, yeah. describes neutral neutrality to talk about the floating island, talks about the guardian of the freedom fight, uh, whatever. It's just stupid bullshit. Yeah, it's... And I was like, what the fuck am I reading this here? This kind of stuff, I, I like when Sonic gets serious, but stuff like this just feels... That's kind of pretentious. Like, it's a little much for the silly, like, action cartoon animal franchise. Like, yeah. I don't mind, like, some of the more, like, characters philosophizing stuff, but, like, this just feels unnecessary. Like, it's much grander than it really feels. I mean, than it really is. 
Issue 43, yeah. <laughs> a.k.a. Why Are We in a Medical Drama Now? A.k.a. <laughs> a.k.a. Remember Blast from the Past from Sad AM Season 2? It's here now. <laughs> I just want to bring up... There's, like, two screencasts in particular that I had that cracked me up. One is, like, some shots of King Acorn's paralyzed face with his eyes, like, shrunken down. His eyes shrunken down. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's probably tended to be like him like having some consciousness like but it just looks i feel bad for this poor guy like if you like he realizes what's happening deep down and it's terrifying like scared shitless but also just kind of yeah. looks kind of funny with this paralyzed look of fear of the distance and also yeah one of my favorite panels so far is like it's like oh, it's no. right before one of the uh flashbacks what do you think, brother? Is the doc on the level? I'm amazed your lack of faith in modern medicine, Sonic. It's not like <laughs> Doc Quack is a witch doctor. That's a fucking... There is just so much in fact in that goddamn... <laughs> yeah, I just wrote down racist Ronor in my notes because I was well, just so confused. That as well, but also the... I'm, a, I'm amazed at your lack of faith in modern medicine, Sonic. Is a phrase yeah. for the century. <laughs> yeah, I just, I. Oh right, I remember now. I fucking hated this issue because <laughs> I, I was so frustrated with Sonic constantly putting down Doctor Quack all the time, every time he says anything, and it was just so frustrating. And then Jeffrey comes in, so I'm like, God damn it! Now yeah. we have him here also, too. I kind of kind of cracking up in the background. Like we'll see like some nurse character that just looks like Sally mixed with Hello Nurse from Animaniacs. It just looked weird to me. I, I can't believe they didn't even reference that, given they reference Kill a uh, Doctor Kildare and also Who Loves Ya Baby. Yeah, like I don't understand how they didn't do a Hello Nurse bit at any point, unless I'm just missing nah, I don't it. I there was. I probably would have noticed it. Yeah, Doctor Quack. I wrote it down in my notes. Doctor Quack is a a character, all right, lol. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Like, it just felt weird, like having like this fucking goofy ass cartoon duck doctor, <laughs> literally called a quack. Like, he also looks completely exported from Disney. <laughs> it looks a lot like the I think it's Penelope, the duck girl from the Junior Freedom Fighters, Rookie Freedom Fighters, yeah. whatever the fuck these Freedom Fighters are. Because if it doesn't. They, they do get a name, but we'll come to that. I just call them, like, the Junior Freedom Fighters. I've always been calling them Neo Freedom Fighters. Mm. Yeah, I, I will at least say, even if it is just a retread, I kind of like how it handles the flashbacks of the, from the blast of the past. Yeah. I, I, I did really like how it did, like, match cut from, mm. like, modern day to flashback. I did actually think that was yeah. really clever. And it was also neat how it was Galan's art for the main story, and then for the flashbacks, it was uh, Spaziante's art. Mm -hmm. I did think that was really cool. Yeah, like I, well, I have like complained about like uh, how the Sally's like stories that we got earlier felt very jarring, and like I, we didn't get enough context before we get these like more dramatic Sally focused stories. I and I kind of wish we had something like this earlier, but like eh, it probably wasn't mm -hmm. 
thought of at the time, but like I did like this, and it did make me care a bit more about Sally and King Acorn. Like I will, let me say in particular, I care about King Acorn a bit more than I ever did in Thaddy M, mm-hmm. and not just because like the fucking night of the apocalypse outfit he had earlier in the <laughs> Zone of Silence, but also just because he feels like an actual character. Like it just feels like he's kind of a damsel or like dude in distress to rescue in Sadiyama here. He at least feels kind of like a character. One thing that I did notice is that, yeah, we are just full-on getting a lot of retcons to mm-hmm. make things basically just, this is the Sadiyama continuity now. Yeah. Like, now we have Ixis Nagus from uh, Sadiyama Season 2, having been the inventor oh, yeah. of the uh, Zone of Silence, when I'm pretty sure it was Kodos who had invented it way I... earlier in issue, uh the fuck issue was that i don't remember it doesn't matter well, i thought like the Kodo thing was like in uh uh the show itself like i felt like it was said like in your blast of the past or like the ixis episode what's well, the story in which sonic is trying to like repair the zone oh. of silence oh yeah yeah I, yeah I think, I think i do remember that 36 is what i was referring to but right. yeah like i think I think they do say that Kodos made the Zone of Silence yeah. at that point, and then here it's Ixis Nagus as Which, it is in Sadiyam. Well, Ixis Nagus was the one that, like, he went into the portal not knowing about it in cartoon. Like, well, here he made the Zone of Silence, which I think kind of works a bit better in my eyes, like, because mm-hmm. given the unlimited powers he was shown to have in Sadiyam, I feel like it makes sense that he has, like, this weird magical realm, even though, like, it. The, realm is just... Actually, no. I think it actually kind of fits, like, his weird crazy magic powers uh, compared to, like, the crystal realm we get in Thaddeam. Also, like, I feel kind of mixed on, like, the mental dream thing with King Acorn, because we get some neat bits of lore with learning who Kodos is in this continuity and whatever the fuck Feist is. is. Yeah. Yeah, that's I didn't even understand what was going on with him and what happened. Did he, like, kill Kodos? Like, did, like, did he kill a- King Acorn or, like, blast his memories? Or, like, and it's like I said, I think Sonic, yeah, Sonic just inexplicably said yeah. that Feist is the one that made it so that King Acorn didn't know anything. So I think that's the whole point is that yeah. he was, like, might be part of, like, why King Acorn was seen in stupid armor. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Um, you know, they'll get around to explain it eventually. It's just... I, I just thought the dream sequence was eh. Like, yeah. the... It was just a bit weird in a way that didn't really feel engaging, I guess. And then, Kinda like... Kind of clunky. They keep talking... Yeah. They keep talking about how it's like, oh, if you can, if you need to, like, evacuate, just remind yourself there's no place like home. <sighs> and then that never comes up except for King Acorn saying it himself when he wakes up which doesn't really make sense because he wouldn't have heard it because Sonic never said it also Sonic just disappears Sonic just like disappears while talking to King Acorn and the two of them just wake up it was just weirdly paced Mm -hmm. yeah not a great issue holy shit what I'm gonna send you a screen cap of Tails I just never noticed because it's horrifying Oh, no. He's just so long. He's such oh, a wait, long I think boy I have, now. I think I might remember this one. Hold on. He's become play. a real boy. Oh, God. His arms and legs oh. are way too long. Oh my god, his neck. Yeah, he's got a really long neck. Oh, he looks like a rubber figure, like the one with the wires in them. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's fucking horrifying. Why? What my poor fucking boys get mutilated in the art department this batch? I feel like why? Why my boys gotta go to Stretch Armstrong route? <laughs> um, some sonograms of note. Oh good. I was Again, at this point. At this point, it's just people asking questions, so it's not really that interesting anymore. Mm. But we do get confirmation that Sally is half squirrel and half chipmunk, and that they don't know what Antoine is. Wait, was he a fox? Yeah, they just don't know anymore. What's Antoine? Okay, that's just stupid. Like, I, I don't, is that like phrased as like a joke, or they did just forget? I mean, here's the exact wording okay. when... The person asks, if Sonic is a hedgehog, then what are Sally and Twan? And then the editor responds as Sonic, Sally is half squirrel, half chipmunk. We don't know what Twan is either. That's just weird. Like, it, I I know he doesn't look like Tails, who is a fox, but like, I mean, he's clearly still fox-like. And they called him a fox before. So that's just weird. I don't know. Maybe it's just like meant to be like a joke, like from Sonic. Like, oh, we don't know like, how Antoine is a weirdo. Then we also get them asking if Sonic is a fan of the Steelers, of the Pittsburgh's, <laughs> Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, Sonic responds, what on Mobius is a Pittsburgh? <laughs> <laughs> so that you know what France is, but you don't know what Pittsburgh is. You also know who Jesus Christ is, but not... Oh, oh yeah, the paganism is. thing. And then jumping ahead again to 46. Oh, God, I hate this fucking issue. I, on it. Yeah, I don't. It's the, it's the one with the campfire right. and everyone's I, accusing everyone else of being a traitor. I didn't hate this one as much as you did, even if I do have some issues with it. I don't really like the art of it. Like, I didn't mind the bickering at least as much in this since like it's meant to be like a tense situation and leading up to the big finale of Endgame. Like, it just feels like it comes out of nowhere, though. Guess, like now I, everyone's like, you're a traitor, and you're a traitor, and I hate robots because I'm racist and also turn out to be an abuser. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Out. But yeah, like, I didn't hate this one as much as you do, but like, I do find it weird just how retcon-heavy it is, if, like, the lore yeah. dumps, like... because yeah, there's, like, one thing, going back to issue 44 again, one person asks about, like, what happened with a bunny like why is she a robot and they basically just recount the events of issue three with saving bunny but then we get to here in 46 in which now antoine and bunny know each other and but before bunny got roboticized and it's just really yeah, it's, it feels like jarring. they retconned it to have the sad am backstory but, where everyone just knew each other but like but also not yeah it's not at least not to the same extent as sad am where they are all kids together like it's still just sonic and sally like it was shown in an earlier issue but we also mm. it seems like now like at least in this point of the comic that possibly bunny and antoine and rotor knew sonic and sally at some point beforehand like i don't mind that as much like given like it's not clear how or when they met at least in regards to Rotor and Antoine, but, like, the bunny situation is weird to me. Like, I don't know why they keep on shifting the backstory with her. But, like, I feel mixed on the Antoine retcon stuff, because on one hand, again, it's jarring and sudden as hell to have, like, especially with just how Antoine, well, not to the same extent of Sadie M, is still kind of, like, has still been portrayed as kind of, like, a bumbling, like, snobby jerk that everyone likes to, like, poke fun of, especially Sonic. But they're also... 
But they're also making Antoine an actually interesting yeah, character. That's the thing that I genuinely really like the Antoine flashback. Like, this is, this, like, they're retconning the hell out of this. But at the same time, it's a really good retcon. Like, I'm genuinely invested in Antoine now. Like, I, I, I didn't really expect, like, the whole thing with, with his father. Like, it's, again, very sudden thing to drop on us. But at the same time, like, I kind of, I, like, I kind of, I kind of like it. Like, I felt bad for the guy. And I also just appreciate, yeah. like, him standing up for Sonic and fucking ducking Jeffrey in the the <laughs> face. Like, fucking As based, he deserves. Based Antoine. Yeah, yeah the tier list is going to be fucking interesting when we get to it. <laughs> um, one thing I also wanted to comment on is the art in this issue fucking sucks. Yeah, like, it's not great. Particularly pages 11 and 12 in part 3 of the story. <laughs> like, the first panel, Sonic just kind of looks a bit goofy a bit, but then, like, when we actually start getting into Antoine's flashback, yeah. it looks like it came out of some fan's flash animation. <laughs> like, with how everything is, like, weirdly geometric, like, you're just learning how to use vectors in Adobe, and there's, like, barely any shading going on. Like, it just sort of comes out of no because like oh there's also like no like line thickness variation because you can see like after the flashback the line thickness turns again and also the perspective makes it look like jeffrey only has one eye <laughs> what the fuck yeah so I, I didn't realize what you meant earlier about like jeffrey's looking constipated when he first appears in the issue but then i looked yeah, up at my screen caps and i have a fucking <laughs> page of like the first of his like entrance and then later of like the side view of him like a toothpick like with his teeth grinning it looks so ugly like i gotta get it now <laughs> yeah like, i hate this fucker <laughs> so much and also, in page 10, because we're just jumping back around, because a lot of stuff is just coming to mind right now, when, when oh, yeah. Sonic punches out <laughs> Jeffrey, so his head is like three times its normal size. Yeah, I'm, I ha I'm reading from like a different scan. from The one I read through originally was from the archive, so it's got that ugly Yeah, you're using archive it. scans, and I'm using like the raw scans. Yeah, I got the raw scans of this as well, and okay, yeah, this doesn't look much better. I was kind of hoping, like it... Okay, yeah, I get what you mean now about the flash animation thing. Like, it looks so flat. Like, it kind of... Like, the... It reminds me, like, Newgrand's animation where you can tell they traced over stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even though this isn't traced, it, it just gives out how flat it looks. It also feels kind of jarring, like, to have characters... I mean, we had Dulcie, like, as well, like, kind of drop in. But, like, the Wolfpack's introduction feels kind of jarring, <laughs> like, because... You pretty much wouldn't know who the hell these guys are unless you're watching the cartoon, which is, like, I don't know, feel, it's not like the show did a much better job introducing them, though, anyway. Like, they're barely a part of their own episode, it felt like. Sorry, what I was reacting there is I was trying to look up, because in my notes I have, quote, what the fuck is Jesse Shearer's write-in? And I was trying to remember oh my God. what I was talking about. Um, it might not be as interesting as, like, Freddy the Fox, or that one time they started a fight between people's, like, art styles or whatever, mm. but I, I just do want to just read it out, because it was pretty funny. Um, and I googled the name, I googled the state they're from this time, so it's not, we're not gonna embarrass ourselves. <laughs> um, from Jesse the Traveler, Shearer, from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Sonograms Gang, 
Heidi Ho, good freedom fighting neighbors. <laughs> oh my the god. The other day I updated my recently started collection of Sonic the Hedgehog comics. As I was going through my issues, I noticed 39 was missing. Being sort of a traveler, especially near the end of the month, I usually pick up the latest issue. Of course, this time around, I got issue 40 instead. Did I miss a special issue or something? Help. Which one was 39? 39 was the uh, Mecha Madness oh, damn. Uh, prologue. Yeah, she missed yeah, the big, so they they missed missed big the, one. Yeah. And then they, the response is just the Mecha Madness uh, synopsis, basically. Mm. Oh, so I, I was going to look. I was looking for the raw scan. I came across the fan art. Like I really like this one from uh, Matt Burt. Or I, mean, I think Burt might be from like his location. So I'm like, it's like Sonic and Tails and clothing. Yeah, regular clothing where they look like every like a whitey's gangsta <laughs> Newgrounds <laughs> flash animation. I think it looked more like those shirts you see, but yeah, that same energy of that. <laughs> I kind of love Bart that Simpson so much. Simpson or like Alvin and the chipmunks with a gun. Yeah, or like the bunny, that bunny, the Bugs Bunny with the pistol in the suit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, another retcon to bring up is the Chuck backstory to explain like how he like started selling chili dogs like again like it's pulling from oh yeah they explained that they was like also like yeah he's got a brother anyway chili dogs i was like what the yeah, fuck it's... why did we need an explanation on why he became a chili dog stand owner like, it's again kind of jarring i don't think it was ever thought of beforehand but i kind of like this backstory as well like especially the whole aspect of changing rather than in the cartoon like his the reason he created the robotization was to help elderly. Here, it's more just like a thing to like help Mobians in general with uh, a battered up uh, jewels in the pod becoming the roboticized version. Like we don't see anything more of that. What happens with jewels? But it's like a really good hook that makes me more like, what the fuck is gonna go on with this? I want to see this story. Yeah, I yeah. I, I get into it when we get into the end game, but I fucking love Chuck. Like, this was, like, the arc that pretty much solidified him as one of my favorite characters. Just in general with Sonic. I love this guy so much. That's fair. The notes from the net have not been that interesting, unfortunately. Aww. It's basically just... We basically hit, like, one amazing gold mine immediately with someone giving their website, but at this point, it's just people uh, putting their emails and, like, writing in, like, regular-ass uh, write-ins. But now I can finally... Every time I mistakenly say emails and not write in letters for the sonograms, you can just pretend that I'm doing one of the once every other month notes from the net instead of misspeaking <laughs> like an idiot. Um, one funny thing is that they literally just used one of the editor's emails <laughs> at, for this, but then after a while, we're like, no, we need to make a dedicated email for this now, and yeah, <laughs> I thought sense. that was really funny. But yeah, like I was just going to bring up, because I was flipping through the pages again, the flashback to uh, Sloop Doggy Dog Schrader thing from 42. It's like on the on the bottom left corner, you can just see Fly Fly Robot Freddy's head with the cord, I guess, like from his body, just like hanging out, like, so it kind of makes it seem like Life Life Freddy's dead. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Fucking rip. Damn. That's <laughs> another just, one for the body count, I guess. It's crapped that poor bastard by accident, I think. <laughs> we're probably never going to see Life Life Freddy again. Like, this might be his last appearance. 
Probably, yeah. <laughs> rest in peace, I suppose. Like, rest in pieces, Fly, Fly, yeah. Fly, Freddy. No, I can't say that. I got on your case for complaining about, and for, like, saying good to Ari being dead. <laughs> Which, by the way, lived rent-free in my head, because that was so out of pocket. <laughs> uh, I feel like I owe Ari an apology. Floof, floof, talky talk. It's so much fucking worth of a traitor. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then... And then we get into the knuckle story, which I thought—I just thought it was fucking stupid. I didn't—I didn't care, honestly. Which, which story? Just the story in general, because again, we're going in the recap order of how we were just bouncing around through all of them. Oh, wait, oh, the knuckles quest. Yeah, knuckles okay, quest. Okay, no, I thought we were jumping into super special. I, I guess race my groans because I thought we were jumping into that. Yeah, uh, yeah the knuckles quest thing was, eh. I I just I just thought it was kind of I just thought it was boring. I'm mean, gonna be perfectly honest. Like oh, like all these mystical people of prophecy, and yeah, it's like just I don't care. Thing. The, the I, one thing I the only one thing I gave a shit about is why is is that tails his dad? Yeah, why is that's the thing that got me like, too. Because like in in um the first issue that he's featured in, he has like Tails' muzzle color of being like a lighter right. color, but then like in the next story. It's just, like, full-on orange for no muzzle color difference. And they refer to him as, like, I think with uh, Prower as well, as for his last name, which, like, fucking caught me off guard. Like, does Tails have, like, a withered uncle or dad? Yeah, I don't understand. I, I really don't understand. I'm really curious. Where, like, they, that has to be intentional. Like, they're probably, like, but it just feels weird that they just kind of gloss over that. Like, I don't know if that's meant to be, like, a big reveal or not that, like, we know a member of Tails' family that he might not, he might not know about. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, like, the, the story with him is also weird, because, like, the, like, a lot of the thing with it is, like, oh, is this from the fairy tales that, uh, this is out of a fairy tale. Constantly these weird-ass things he fights, like, what basically looks like an off-brand cacao demon at the start, and then, like, this weird roided-up, like, fighting game looking dude and like a dragon like or like a it's like a mystical like a mythical Chinese like serpent dragon like he fights like some tiger that might have been like a reference to like a, a myth or something like it was just weird like in a real oh wait no it's like some sort of offer magic guy oh, okay that explains these weird ass characters like, that one was like the most interesting I suppose, just for, like, the weird bits we get of lore. Then, like, one of my favorite panels is from the next story with the brainwashing duo. <laughs> the first panel we see is, like, the bunny girl patting Knuckles on the head with this really, like, annoyed look on her face, like, mm. <laughs> so fucking good. I love this panel so much. <laughs> the next panel is her kissing him on the head while he looks disgusted, like, confused. <laughs> I fucking cracked up for several minutes when I saw it. Uh, yeah, I I wrote down for this section. Man, Penders and Fulop are just an absolute nightmare blunt rotation. Honestly, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. I'd say. Yeah, it's 
we've talked about it before on Saturday and about like the weird fantasy set, but like this is like even more jarring, partially because the designs of these characters look much more realistic animal anthros, sort of. Like especially next yeah. to Knuckles with his like simple cartoony design. But also just feels like so detached from even like kind of the like there's fantasy stuff sorta in this and like and uh, there's fantasy stuff sorta in Archie as well, like with the Acorn family and all. But this just feels like we're pulling even further away from the comics, <laughs> and it just kind of makes mm-hmm. me dread, like knowing that like there probably is going to be more of this magical fantasy BS as we continue through the comic. Like we're probably seeing mm-hmm. the last of it, and then like. The last story I kind of just forgot about, other than the fact, like, oh, he gets a sword at the end. Whoopee. Whoopee. Yeah, I, I don't. It was boring. Yeah. But what wasn't boring, at least for you, is uh, the Sonic Super uh, Special number one, Battle Royal, be, being written by uh, Scott Fulop and Ken Pender. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, we didn't notice they typoed it on the credits. <laughs> I fucking hate this issue so much like i've had there's been some issues i haven't enjoyed before this issue like is the first one like since the rotor journey to the center of his body story like i was genuinely struggling to read it not because it's well intentionally gross but more just because this is some of the worst art we've seen so far like was this how 38 felt for you because yeah. holy shit there was just so like, many panels I, I thought the art was fine at first like it yeah. looked like much more dynamic and like the perspective on a lot of the shots were interesting but then like yeah the art just deteriorates rapidly like everyone is just constantly looking insanely off model yeah uh, Archimedes just looks like they were just told to draw him by memory because yeah. his head shape is way wrong yeah special mention goes to Antoine who's constantly looking bored out of his gourd this is like he's always got this like smug like bored look on his face which I'm pretty sure was just pulled from one of the reference pictures because like I remember like the issue right after this like on like the with the mail in section like they have like a picture of um Antoine that's like probably like a render or like a official art that is has the same like bored like half-lidded eye expression that he has constantly through this comic so it just looks like they trace that over for most of his appearances there's just so many fucking panels that where everyone consistently looks off in some way. Like, Espio's got big dilated eyes. Knuckles' mouth looks so weird. Like you said, like, Archie looks like they drew him from memory. Tails looks weird. Like, his muzzle's all screwed up. Sonic... Like, there's certain panels in particular, like, when Archie first appears, like, his face looks completely different from how it usually looks, like, Oh my god, he looks like the fucking talking poop from South Park when Sally's holding him. <laughs> That's the panel I'm thinking of. Like, Sally, on like the end of part one, Sally's face looks so weird. And you can see Antron again with that stupid smug look behind Sonic with his eyes closed. Like, half closed. Like, there's some ugly mouth shots. I get some, like, frog mouth, uh, spaziante mouth in this, like, Dulcie's just looks so weird. Like, 
really ugly looking perspectives on her. There's a great shot of Gorilla Gorilla, as he, like after he got knocked back by a mammoth mogul, where it looks like his eyes are bugging out, but like, it looks like a frog's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good transition to get into the story, because you have to remember, we're an audio podcast, right. so you know, if lingering on the art a bit much will make it so a bit hard to... Yeah. Right, I'm sorry. Man. Just, I had to talk about this fucking art. Like, it was driving me insane reading this. Yeah. But man, this plotline sucks. Like, it is such a forced... Like, I, oh, like I literally, from the very word go, I was like, oh, yeah, no, it's just someone just tricking yep. them into thinking the others are attacking the others. Like, it's such an obvious thing. It so just goes on for way too long. And then, like... Yeah. We go to Mammoth Mogul. I fucking hate Mammoth Mogul. Yeah, I'm he starting just, to understand your hesitance when we first appeared. I hate how he is just the secret mastermind behind everything, because yeah. that is just such an unbelievably boring way to write an antagonist. Yeah, I, I just hate also that, like, they do like a, oh, I was playing from the beginning, like, I planned for my failure, this is all part of the plan, the plan, the plan, like, fuck off. I, and just the fact that, like, now that we know that the sword is a fake and that we're not going to see that for later, I'm just like, great, we're just going to prolong this bullshit for yeah. another several issues because we're going to have like a bunch of other stuff and then get back to King Acorn's dilemma. Yeah, glad we wasted our time on the fucking Knuckles quest for the sword. Yeah, like I And then we also just have the, the shit squad that basically only appear for like two panels and then the story just forgets they exist yeah. because they literally do not like come up after a mammoth mogul gets blown up which we'll talk about but I want to let Vespa say anything they have to right. they say yeah, the, they, we get like two pretty much two panels with the fearsome force and when like the heroes show up like one of how like, do you remember their name I like it's a, they got like a fucking like super villain group name like it sticks out in my mind like it's like, a, okay. uh, like the alliteration of it, but yeah, like we get them like hopping into battle and then like the heroes hopping in and then it, we only really see like the frog guy and gorilla gorilla getting knocked on their ass and that's it. Like they're, it doesn't even look like they're fighting them. Like only like, actually no, it doesn't look like, okay, FBO and I think Vector at least are attacking the bird guy. Or I didn't even notice. But yeah, like all of them are just kind of like entering the battle and then they just disappear for the rest of the issue. Glad they should. Yeah, they literally up. just get trounced within like one page yeah. and oh my God. then that's it. Uh. The rest of the fight is fighting Mammoth Mogul, which is really stupid. Why did they they rip open his pants? I don't even know how his pants got ripped. But yeah, like, it's not a great fight, Ivan. I'm just looking through my notes and like there's some other bits I remember. Like, not just like ugly art stuff, but like fucking Vector's line to Mammoth Mogul. And while the cool with K-E-W-L flames made us look like we were taking the heat, Arky teleported us to safety, which gave us the time to figure out both our gangs Bangs were getting were taking the rap for your homies. Jesus fucking Christ, I hate his tail like so much. It's really bad. It's so bad. Why is he written like this, Ken? And Scott? And then the resolution in which Archimedes decides, hey, I'm gonna touch the emeralds together, fellas. Which is 
so unbelievably stupid, which, yeah, I get that he wasn't there when the racist brigade told him about <laughs> it, but, like, he also knows a lot anyway, so it's like, what he's doing could have literally destroyed Angel Island, if not the world, but then he's like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna yeah. touch the emeralds, touch the gems together, and then it somehow just destroys only Mammoth Mogul. It was all part of the plan, Cammy. part of the plan, the plan... So anyway, the next issue where we begin Endgame... No. Uh, something else I wanted to bring up, like, when they're, like, going over how they figure out they're being fooled is, like, Bunny brings up that everyone knows I only have Super Trank in my left arm, and then I look back, and it looks like when uh, they say, like, a, they have, like, a thing, like, checking the earlier in the issue to see that, we see... I see, like, a panel with Bunny holding both of her arms with the boulder, so... This is what confused me. Like, did she... I know this is nitpicky, but did she mean, like, her bionic arm has the super strength? Or her left arm? Because, like, her left arm is the one that isn't mechanized, but that's the one yeah, she's supposed... holding the boulder with in the the recap of how well, the plan is. The whole thing is that they noticed that she was holding the boulder in her non-roboticized arm, which doesn't make sense given her strength is from her being roboticized. But then, like, as you said, the closest panel we can find of her holding a boulder, she's holding it in both hands. Right. That's what confused me. Like, it's diff I guess there's some miscommunication of the art. Yeah, it's just weird. Also, Dulcie is just absolutely fucking terrifying yeah. every time. Like, the, the the way this artist draws the heads makes it look like Dulcie's about to ask if I have any games on my iPhone. <laughs> That's the energy that I was thinking of. I was going to say, like, the no bitch's face, but that works as well. But also, there's one more art thing that I want to bring up is, like, a shot, like, from the mammoth mogul fight where, like, it looks like he's holding his staff, the sword, and Dulcie by the tail. Like, I don't know. Like, it looks confusing to me, like... How is he holding all of the way he's holding this shit? I think one... It's part of his plan. <laughs> Fair enough. Like, because he's super strong and magical, he can hold everything. He's just... Things. He's just the kingpin, but bullshit. Yeah. That's what he is. That's all he I, is. I kind of, like I said, I like the concept for Mammoth Mogul, but, like, they, it's clear that, like, they didn't think this through with him. Like, he's just BS. Yeah. Ah, fuck him. I am sure it's gonna get worse. Speaking of BS, Endgame. Okay. <laughs> fuck. Okay. We just. There's just a lot to say about Endgame, mm, honestly. It's, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Cause... Where do we start? I just. Some... I want to bring up a panel that I really liked early on from... It's when the Hershey and Sonic is cutting the ropes. Like, I guess it's because of the mask, but I just love his smug smile as he's pulling out the knife and starts cutting. It just reminds me of that one fucking video of the Sonic Rush fight. The, Have a nice fight, you stupid bit. <laughs> That's all I could think of as he was preparing to kill Sally. God... There's one, like, set of pages that, like, because of how I was, like, reading it on, like, having, like, both pages at the same time, there was, like, an interesting, like, unintentional, like, match cut between pages three and five, hmm. where the bottom panels are, like, the same composition, and so when I was, like, 
looking towards that bottom and then flipping the page, I know what I said. They're basically like the same composition. I <laughs> thought that was actually kind of neat. Anyway, Sally dies. Yeah, I remember hearing about this beforehand. Like she, I think the original plan was to have her die for real, but it was. I looked. Right. I, I did look it up because I did look up some stuff. Um, yeah, Sally was meant to actually die here because the writers were so tired of Sega's mandating like forcing like a constant will they won't they bullshit mood and so they decided yeah no we'll just stop doing this we're just gonna get rid of her and then uh, naturally sega was like no don't kill her what the fuck like on the one hand i think it was a stupid idea but on the other i definitely understand where they're coming from like i would probably get sick of this shit too I probably wanted like just figure out some way to just get the stupid love triangle bs over with yeah but like at the same yeah, time, it's still like a really... it just happens so completely abruptly, like just out of nowhere. And like I get like, I think you can do interesting tragedy where things right. come out of nowhere. I don't think, like I don't think every death needs to be like a huge like cinematic and like just thing, but it does just like feel abrupt to the point where it does just feel like a bad thing. You know, it doesn't feel. Right. Yeah, maybe just maybe it's just the art. Like, I mean, the art isn't bad in this issue, but like it, it's uh, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Like, but it's a little cartoony, like a little silly for like the, how serious of the stakes are meant to be for this issue. Also, I will just want to quote. We don't want to turn this in. Like, I know we named it after the guy, but we don't want to turn this into a a a fuck Ken Penders ordeal because we're not pathetic like that but i do want to bring up penders's tweet on why he wanted to kill off princess Uh sally quote main reason i wanted to kill off princess sally back in the day felt she made sonic into a second banana and cramped his style (laughs) she was the one being second banana honestly like also the person making sonic in the second banana was jeffrey not sally yeah like and, like, there was, like, a, I think I did say even, like, when we got the Sally series that I was worried about Sally overtaking Sonic. But, no, I like, I was actually getting kind of annoyed with how much it felt like Sally's been pushed to the side. Even with, like, her father being brought in, like, a major plot point. Like, it's more Sonic and, like, Jeffrey who are the ones, like, taking initiative and, like, arguing about it and stuff. Like, Sally just kind of... I just... I'm kind of frustrated with how Sally's been handled in this issue. Like, it... Absolutely. She feels like, like she's being reduced to just the love interest, or, like, just, like, a damsel, or... I, I know, like, that was a problem before, but it feels really apparent with the more serious turn, as well as them killing her off. Like, let's just be honest. They fridged Sally. Oh, like, they fridged her hard. Like, I'd even realize it on my first read-through, but, like, sitting on it, I'd realize, no, wait. Yeah. They just straight-up fridged Sally, and... It feels all the more tasteless with the title drop basically being a like almost a unintentional or maybe intentional pun on that of taking the fall. Yeah, yeah, that, it's something I felt like after the fact when I was looking when I was doing my general. I was like, yeah, they basically semi fridged her because she's not dead, but still same effect of what fridging is. But yeah. yeah. It's, and it, it gets worse, it just keeps getting worse, but before we go into how it gets worse, one cute thing I did like is the Sonicrams, is that because Sonic is imprisoned and is made a fugitive, 
um, he's not the one answering the sonograms for <laughs> okay, for the entirety pretty. of Endgame because it's actually Antoine, uh, Tails, and Bunny doing the sonograms for forty-seven, forty-eight, and forty-nine. Hmm, that's a cute detail. Mm-hmm. Um, issue forty-eight, the second part of Endgame. I liked how Amy was just there. <laughs> she doesn't ever get a speaking role. Yeah, not even really that oh, sad. She gets one funny. line. She gets one line, but she just exists. I... There was a detail that bugged me early on where, like, when Sonic being loaded onto the plane, like, Antron has this, like, dumb remark about, like, next time you bring your plane, you brutes better not put this scratch on my beauty, and Sonic goes, is that all you're worried about? Like, what the fuck, Antron? Like, why are you acting like this, like this in this moment and only in this moment? Because it never really crops up again of him being, like, a smug, smartass. Well, the answer is that I'm pretty sure Endgame had multiple writers for each section. Mm. Yeah, because uh, issue 47 was written by Penders, issue 48... Actually, no, yeah, issue 48 was written by Fulop and Penders, and then 49 was by Gallagher and Penders, and then 50 is just a collage of several different writers. Yeah. But yeah, I don't... Uh, I do kind of like the art for this issue. Like, there's... I love the shot of uh, Uncle Chuck, like... Denying that Sonic's guilty, <laughs> a shot of like his face, like he did it with his red eye glowing. Also, like small yeah. nitpicky thing, like they keep on flipping between like him having white eyes with blue, uh, blue pupils and bl- the black eye- uh, black eyes with red pupil design from the show. Which I prefer the red pupil design, though I don't know why they keep on flipping between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't um, get it either. And yeah, it's like I said, the the. The title drop is so incredibly awkward that I was like, come on, really? <laughs> uh, it, it's what it always makes it worse because it is explicitly using the logo for it every time. It always just fair. seems so out of place. I was, I was just going to say before that, like, fucking sleep talky dog appearing genuinely caught me off guard and just fucked me up for a few seconds. Like, god damn it, why is he back? <laughs> oh yeah, we didn't note mention in a recap, but yeah, in the plane <laughs> that Sonic is being taken to the gulag, Sleuth Doggy Dog is there, and it's like, oh, god damn hi. it, I fucking hate this character so much. Every time he shows up, it just I lose it like a it's like genuine psychic damage when I see and hear that name. Uh, yeah, I do. As cheesy as that. And infamous as uh, Sonic truly understands the meaning of Warline is, I genuinely love the moment where like he, like goes silent and just loses it against the SWAT bot. Like, it's yeah. I did like the the like the emotional yeah. scene where Sonic is just at his lowest point. I, I did think that was really cool, and it does help make this way more interesting of a finale, quote unquote, than uh, Sad AM season two's was. But he had his still pretty funny line. Yeah, keep up the context. And it the context and just them doing the stupid buzzsaw with the face thing just looks so stupid. I don't know why they keep on doing that. Especially in a moment like this. But yeah. Well, it's supposed to be him spin dashing, know, but, but it like, said it is just like a weird like yeah, buzzsaw with his face superimposed right. on, like you said. <laughs> it just looks so dumb. But yeah, like I can definitely agree with like the issues of the writing itself, but I I I'm always just I generally just like when we get to see a more vulnerable side of Sonic, and it's... I know, like, Sega doesn't like it, and I'm sure, like, other people might not be a 
fan of it, given, like, Sonic's meant to be such an escapist character, but, like, I kind of view him as, like, more like a Spider-Man or even Superman, where, like, sure, he's this, like, super powerful, invincible, seemingly invincible hero, but, like, when, like, he gets to his darkest hour, like, his loved ones are, like, in a dire state, like, having him, like, take, realize the situation and take it seriously, or, like, get caught up in the emotions of it, like, I love to see that in Sonic. I... It just makes me care a bit more about him and when he's, like, actually getting emotionally affected by this shit and, like, taking it genuinely seriously. Yeah, like, I do think there's something I'm um, genuinely frustrated with at points where it does feel like Sonic usually just does not get to be sad. Right. He just gets to be snarky and uh, cocky and then sometimes maybe a bit perturbed but never sad. Right, that's... Like, I know the thing with Sega mandates, like, I think they might have been loosened up on it recently, but I know it was, like, a thing, like, with Archie, and, like, for a while in the games, where, like, we, uh, Sega was saying, like, you can't show Sonic being, like, up, like too emotional or something. Like, it, I forget the exact wording of it, like, and it's been, like, some fans kind of exaggerate, over-exaggerate just how harsh Sega is about that, but, like, they still are a bit against it to some extent, like, of how emotional Sonic can be about, uh, like, th- bad things happening. I do not understand why we've kept the weird uh, Mobians are evolved animals storyline <laughs> that's been, like, in the background of Sad AM. I don't understand why they've just kept that as a part of thing, because that's one thing that, like, an offhand comment from Jeffrey basically confirms... Also, I wanted to bring up, like, since, like, I think we might have skipped over that bit, like, a Sonic fla- uh, flashing back to what, like, to Chuck trying to prove his innocence. Like, that was the point where I really was like, God damn, I love this character so much. Like, this is, he's generally one of my favorite Sonic characters in general. Like, just how hard he's trying yeah. to, like, prove his uh, nephew's innocence. Just, like, how, like, certain he is that, like, something's going wrong. Like, I... Again, it's another thing, like, I know it kind of goes against the escapism, but I really do like having Chuck as a parental figure, and it bums me out that he's restricted to just, like, the comics and cartoon. I kind of wish... I'm not sure, like, how well he could be handled in, like, the game continuity, but I kind of wish we could have Chuck in, like, the Sonic games or, like, the mainline continuity. Dude, just fucking cool. And then we also get the continued part of Jeffrey and Sonic just love triangling about yeah. where it's you murdered her. I didn't do it. You killed the woman I love. And it's just like don't say that. You only love yourself. I loved her. And it's like uh. great. Not only are we fridging Sally, we're continuing to leave her death to just be the object of Jeffrey and Sonic pissing on each other, and I am just so done with this bullshit. Same. Like, it's... I knew I wasn't gonna be, like, the biggest fan of, like, the Sonali stuff, like, going in, but I was not expecting it to be just this annoying. And also, I don't know if you noticed it, but, like, given the plot premise and how this issue leads off, I find it kind of amusing that, like, they do, like, a fucking fugitive reference with Sonic jumping off the cliff to the waterfall as Jeffrey corners him. Yeah. I mean, noticed that because it reminded me of Metal Gear. It's just, he just does a Metal Gear Solid 3 on us, and I was like, oh, that's cute. I was, like, thinking more of Simpsons. Like, I forget the full context of it, but I know they had, like, a bit parodying the, the fugitive scene as well. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, issue. Um, there's a panel before Ooh. he jumps where uh, Sonic is just looking back to <laughs> Jeffrey, and it was just my mood greeting through this. It's like, really? He just has like a look of, really? You really think there's no way out for me? Um, then, yeah, issue 49. Issue 49. <sighs> Uh, one thing I we didn't know mention about forty eight is that like the fugitive they do actually like change the logo to say Sonic the yeah. Fugitive. I thought that was cute. Yeah, I like that as well. On the cover as well, not just like in the comic. Like it's on the cover for the title. <laughs> yeah, forty nine um, issue forty nine. Uh, ugly ass cover with Dulcie again. Like, yeah. Why is Dulce? Why does Dulcie exist? Why does she look why so does bad? Dulcie exist? Like, I wouldn't mind her as much if she didn't look so fucking ugly. I, art just looks so bad. Like, not a great start to the art with Eever. Yeah, absolutely awful. I was also surprised at how absolutely brutalized the <laughs> the Down Under Freedom Fighters are. Because, yeah. like, they're, like, scarring, but, like, Barbie Koala just straight up has a fucking swollen eye, and I was like, oh, that's actually kind of uncomfortable, yeah, like, dude. Just, just, I get, like, the stakes are raised, but, like, this just feels a little too heavy for a kid's comic in the 90s by Archie. Yeah. that Like, that's not, like, the worst of it, but that still just kind of cut me off guard, like, seeing just how brutalized the Australian, I mean, down under freedom fighters were in this. Let's talk about the fucking Sonic suit, though. What the fuck is this bullshit? <laughs> oh, yeah, you're gonna wear a suit to dress as Sonic, and then you're gonna go and kill Snively. But, but then the joke's on rope. you. The ice shield made it look like it's just always everything on Snively. Like, That's just so what dumb. What the fuck? That feels like... That- that feels like something, again, like, from the early issues. Like, it just makes you think of, like, the fake-out Sonic death issue from, I think it was issue 20. Like, it feels like the kind of shit they'd have to explain, like, the big, like, uh, like eye-catching cover, like, Sonic the Traitor? And, like, it feels like some nobody got fooled into dressing up as Sonic and, like, ha- making him take the fall for it. Like, having that for, like, the big, like, reveal of how Sonic got framed just felt, like, so forced in. Like, I, like, not forced It's in, like, so unbelievably contrived, contrived that I was just like, what the fuck is this yeah, shit? And, and honestly, speaking of what the fuck is this shit... Let's just talk about it now, honestly. The entire subplot between Hershey and Drago is frankly disgusting, and I'm just gonna be honest, I'm speaking this to the Ken Penders of 97, because I know that people can change, and that also this is a comic from 26 years ago, but also just... Fuck you, Ken Penders. Honestly, like, I've been, like, very vocal with shitting on the r slash fuck Ken Penders subreddit, because I think that is just downright depressing uh, making your life out to just obsess over clowning on one 60 year old man and again don't send harassment i'm talking about the ken penders of the 90s that wrote this i'm not talking about the ken penders of now because you know this was literally like 30 years ago not 30 years ago but almost 30 years ago but this shit fucking sucks go fuck yourself ken for writing this this it didn't need to have a fucking abuse plotline. I, I, I'm, I've seen 
kids media tackle this kind of stuff before, but with much more tact and better, like, placement of it. It's like, just dropping that in the middle, like, I don't think he intended it to be, like, a shock thing. Like, I feel like he just, like, naturally put it in, but, like, just... Why does it need to be an abuse plotline, dude? Why just have it be like him manipulating some poor schmuck? Like, it doesn't need to have an extra layer of scumminess to it. Like, I thought I was reading too into it with the stupid shit with Fiona Fox in the previous batch. But no, this is just actually domestic abuse. And I just... It actually... Again... As an abuse survivor, I found it legitimately blood-boiling yeah. how insipid this was. And how, in issue 50, how she gets her to comeuppance because she gets to beat on him. Which is, like, one of the most stock-standard, I'm-a-guy-writing-a-plot-about-a-woman-being-abused-and-I'm-gonna-make-it-fine-because-she-gets-to-be-empowered-and-she-gets-to-save-the-day. Which is just... Like, yes, it's good to have stories of people surviving these things and thriving, but again, it is so obligatorily written that it reminds me of the absolute inane bullshit with Quiet from Metal Gear Solid Five. which, again, I really like Hideo Kojima's games. I'm a huge Metal Gear fan myself, but, like, in Metal Gear Solid Five. Quiet goes through a lot of unnecessarily cruel bullshit, but then she gets to have a cool kick-ass moment where she gets to beat up on the people that abused her, and it's like, wow, you wrote this. You could write anything in the world, but you chose to write a trauma story about a woman getting abused just so you can then write her getting better at the end of it, and it's just... Which, to elaborate a bit further, because I feel like I'm not being as clear as I should be. It's just that with Hershey, it doesn't focus any on, like, the trauma she's facing or any steps she's doing to heal. It's just we get to see her being abused by Drago, and then she turns into, like, some sort of femme fatale getting to beat on him, and then she just has a bit of a cry, and then we move on so that the men can solve the rest of the story. It just feels like it's being utilized for cheap drama, just because, oh, this is a serious story, so we should have serious moments in it, and it just boils my blood to have such a serious and sensitive topic basically be reduced to cheap drama. Like, we covered it a bit with the Down Under Freedom Fighters, with how Barbie Koala is just needlessly brutalized, and how Sally ends up getting fridged, and there's a part I cut out of the recap where I described with full-on spite that at the very end, Sonic gets his quote-unquote reward for saving the day, because that's how it feels like they treat Sally. That's how they feels like they treat Hershey and Barbie because it just feels like it's using all of the women for cheap over-the-top violence or just drama object plot devices for the male lead characters and it just I'm, I'm getting worked up again editing this I'm sorry I just <laughs> I don't fucking care it's fucking awful and I hated it well and truly yeah I'm God damn it, the stupid phone. This is just perfect timing, I suppose. I guess it lined the mood, so I'm like, yeah, I guess. What the fuck? 
Oh man, it's International Podcast Day. <laughs> Thanks, Spotify. Fucking hell. Jesus Christ, the timing of that. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Spotify. <laughs> Thanks, I suppose. I guess it lined the mood on me. Yeah, like I. Well, it. Yeah, I. Let's just move on from this shit. Like I said, I. I it just didn't need. It didn't need to be like this. I don't know why. Let's, let's do something to lighten the mood. Let's read a notes from the net from this issue. From Carrie Vine's email withheld because they just put the actual emails on here for some baffling reason. Hey, Team Sonic. Here it is in a nutshell. Sally should pass away. Whether she comes back or not, parentheses, you know how comic books work after Mm. all, and how comic book deaths work after all, (laughs) is up to you. But you can only avoid real-life topics so long before it gets stale. Anyone who doesn't agree can watch Barney. As for me, I'll still look forward to another issue of Sonic no matter what. I read it because it's a comic book, remember? (laughs) (laughs) And so... Uh, Bunny responds, the editor responds as Bunny, Carrie's one opinionated gal I could look up to. Thanks for sharing your views with us, Suga. And it's like, yeah, I don't know how you would respond to someone saying that you should just murder Sally and keep her dead. Yeah, that's fucking something. Yeah. Um, Issue 50, I liked the flashback. I thought that was really cool. uh, This flashback kind of threw me off. Like, I was, I kind of expected that we were going to be like some sort of like humans on Mobius, just like with what the ZDM had planned for like the third season of revealing that like Mobius was Earth. Uh, but like the whole Overlander thing was just so fucking weird. And like, I, I'm yeah. wondering, given Robotnik is dead at the end of this, like, what they, like, there's like, I think a thing in the director's cut specifically that, like, he's, they mentioned that Robotnik is the house, uh, from the house of Ivo, if, which. Yeah, we're gonna, we'll make it a, a mini, a special stage going over to differences, because I have actually cataloged all of them, because I'm insane. Thank you. Um, but in the original one, this flashback is still there, but he's called as being the son of Ivo, but they change it in the director's cut to being of the house of Ivo instead. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about the whole Overlander thing. Like, I knew that there was going to be like some sort of reason for like the humans being there, and like, they probably were going to pull that card for Mobius, but it's just kind of weird. And like, I feel like I was done like to bookend the issue of, like, Robotnik's start on Mobius and, like, his end. I think the Overlander stuff is stupid. Yeah. But, like, I also just... I love the trope of character's death or of finale. You get to see a flashback leading up to things. I've always loved that trope, honestly. That's fair. Well and truly, it's something that's always fascinating to me. Uh, One thing I do want to... Like, small thing that I want to go over. Why is Jeffrey in the past with a younger Chuck and Jules... How? Like, there's Jeffrey, like, when we, like, see, like, Jules and, like... Oh, yeah. So, we don't really, like, we only see him for, like, uh, far away in one panel, but, like, how old is Jeffrey? If he is, like, like... In an issue, we're gonna cover three episodes from now. We actually do learn that that's Jeffrey's father, not Jeffrey himself, but don't worry... 
in that very same episode, we do learn that Jeffrey is probably five years older than Sally, and so don't worry, Jeffrey is still fucking creepy and possibly a pedophile. Oh, I don't want to unpack that. Yeah. Let's just say there's a there's a pa- a panel in the flashback where someone looks like Jeffrey, and I do not want to unpack yeah. that any further. Yeah. Um, then like we so get to the war Bean, the dynamite, yes, and Mark, the polar bear are war veterans. Apparently, like <laughs> I, I again, I like his art, and I like the little cameos, but like this just feels so goddamn weird. Whether or not you know these characters are. Or don't, because, like, for one thing, if you don't, you're probably wondering what the hell this, like, armadillo troll dude and star guy are doing in the battle for Mobius. And if you do, you're kind of just left wondering, like, why the, where the fuck? Yeah, it's like, why the fuck is Rystar here? Yeah, like, 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 they, like, there's a lot of nods and cameos of Sega properties throughout these comics, but it's usually just, like, a poster or, like, a advertisement in the background, not, like, front and center. Here's another Sega character from a completely different game, but also, like, fucking Barkin too. <laughs> Yeah, I was not expecting this to be the comic debut of Bark and Bean. I'm yeah. gonna be honest with you, friend. Like, I also just wonder, like, you gotta imagine, like, there were some kids in the 90s, or like, fans of the 90s reading these comics and probably wondering, like, either if they know them or not, like, are these, like, they look too distinct enough to just be, like, background characters. They're probably just wondering, like, are these characters ever gonna play into things? Like, it just feels weird, like it's weird to throw in as like a front and center thing in the middle of a battle, even if it's like a cool cameo. Yeah, and just a weird stuff with Robotnik just murdering a guy. <laughs> I did kind of love that. One thing I did did enjoy about Endgame was just seeing Robotnik be, be at his like most smarmy and slimy in terms of his evilness. I fucking love it. I'm going to miss that with him dead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dulcie. Oh, what? fucking god, I hate Dulcie so, like, so much. You noticed when I was doing the recap that at the start of, like, 48 or whatever, I made specific mention that Dulcie was there crying about Sally's death. Wait, yeah. So what? Yeah, If sure. dragons can't tell lies, if a dragon's spoken word is fact, then... Wouldn't she know that Sally is alive? And also, and also, in the earlier issue, the uh, issue forty six, when they're at the campfire, wouldn't she be able to suss out any traitors? Given she was there in the scene making dumb movie theater jokes as, as Uncle Chuck is showing traumatic memories of roboticizing his brother. Right, and also like, I just don't get it. Like, it's also just the way that like Sonic like, talks up Dorothy is like, oh, you, like, when, like, they come on the floating island, the, when they come on the floating island and Knuckles sucker punches her, like, Sonic goes like, I can't believe you'd hurt this such, the sweetest and, like, kindest member of the Freedom Fire the wearer, like, where the fuck is this praise coming from, like, from a character, like, it's not just the fact, like, 
like put aside my dis take my my disinterest in Dulcy. Dulcy's barely done shit up to this point, and like she's barely appeared. Yeah. Like her first appearance, even like she barely did much. Like in her rescue was more just kind of like it, like in the wrong place, at the right time to like save the day. Like we don't never really get like thing like up until now like that she's like this purest of pure heroes or whatever. Like it just felt weirdly showing for a character we barely know or really care about. I don't know why it, the writers seem to care even more about her than, like, the writers of Thetty M did. But it's also just the way that, like... She's just a plot device here. Really. It's just annoying. It's, I got, as much as I don't want more of Sonic and Knuckles or Sonic and Jeffrey fighting and fighting... I just find it so goddamn anticlimactic that that's how it's dealt with. But there is at least, like, one bit of dialogue that did crack me up. Uh, like, when Espio, like, grabs Sonic and says, like, he try, uh, he's going with Knuckles' word. Like, he's not going to, like, follow Jeffries. And then Dulcy comes in and Espio goes, Although I have been known to listen to a dragon every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> it did get a genuine chuckle out of me. The spread was a bit weird of everyone like beating down on the SWAT bots and they're just chanting fight freedom fight freedom <laughs> it's like what <laughs> um we already went into extensive detail on the bullshit with Hershey and Drago and I do not want to talk about it right. more than I have to um yeah I do really like how Robotnik is characterized here honestly even if his plan to, is to fridge Sally and frame Sonic is a bit weird, especially given it's explicitly derivative of issue 40. <laughs> Nonhole gets fucking annihilated, at oh, least yeah. we think at that point, and yeah. I was genuinely <laughs> like, what the fuck? Holy shit, yeah, like, dude. I kind of just assumed, like, I forgot what, like, the whole circumstances was, but I was at least assumed, like, oh, well, the heroes made it out in time or something, or at least, like, most of them made it out, like, the major ones. But, like, I still would, like, from the perspective of Sonic, like, he doesn't know, he probably doesn't know that. Like, he probably thinks that, like, most of his friends just got wiped. Yeah, like, that, the whole lead-up in the fight itself with Robotnik versus Sonic was so damn good. Like, it, much of it didn't really care for most of Endgame. Like, the stuff with Sonic, like, being pushed to his limits and Robotnik being at his most, like, slimeball and cruel is, like, the highlight of the, this arc to me. Like yeah, the absolutely. best part of I, it. I really liked. I liked how Sonic just fucking snapped. I, <laughs> I gen. I I think one of my favorite panels, one of my favorite pages of just for the entire run thus far. Even as much as I've been completely negative towards Endgame, is just the splash yeah. page of Sonic strangling Robotic, and like it's just a sketch by Spaziante, which means it was probably like made like for this director's cut because obviously it's not in the original oh. run, but like. Yeah, there's a lot of changes, and it's weird. Um, it's a lot of minor changes to the point where it's like, yeah, I just said just read the special, because, like, it is, like, everything that happens in this is still canon, even though this came, like, years later. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, like, you can tell it's a sketch, because, like, it's just a sketch. Yeah, it's like, got the... It still has, like, Spaziante's signature on it, and it's not colored. But it also works really mm -hmm. well cinematically, given the immediate next cut is just... Pure immediately white. cut to white. Yeah, like, I thought that I was, thought like, that was really interesting. I didn't really think of that as, like, just, like, a sketch or something. Like, I just thought, like, it was because, like, it's 
Robotrop Robo just got fucking nuked, and this is like the last moment before Sonic got in the millionth ring. Yeah, yeah, that fucking sequence, and like as well as the shot beforehand with him and Robotnik like falling into the weird peak pool of what of energy or whatever is also really. Good. I think it's more just meant to be the the implosion oh, like happening fair. right there. Yeah, like I said before, with like the Sonic was. I love seeing Sonic and Eggman actually fight mono y mono. That shit is really fucking cool. Yeah, uh, Doctor Quack, and then unfortunately. <laughs> We do have to leave Endgame off with a negative note, because what the fuck? Three hours in the future, time rift. What is this shit? Like, yeah, I'm I get, I get. You're not gonna, I get. You're not gonna have it so that Knothole is actually destroyed. What? But what? What is this? Yeah, I didn't really understand it either. Like it. Oh. What? Oh, that's a joke. The. One of the things the director's cut adds is that when Sonic wakes up in the Knothole Infirmary, is it adds at the top a a narration card saying several hours later, and I just now realized it's added in there as a joke because of being in a temporal lift that's three hours displaced. <laughs> so dumb. Yeah, so stupid. Yeah, uh, do you want to talk about Dr. Quack's like the expl- explanation of Dr. Quack's betrayal? <laughs> I just felt like I guess it makes sense, but no, not really. Like why is his dream watcher have a chip that yeah, Robotnik can track? That felt a weird thing to add on, like I understand the setup, but like the way that like it he gets caught up in it like just feels clunky. Yeah. Like, I feel it, sort of bad for him, but at the same time, like, it just feels kind of... And I kind of, like, understand the purpose of it, uh, but it's more that just, like, it, like a lot of things in this arc, it just doesn't feel really well thought out. We do get a, a funny pinup of an homage to Fantastic Four number one oh, yeah. with Robotnik. Um in the original uh, run of issue 50, it's in color, but in the hmm. director's cut, it is a colorless one for you to color in, okay. which I thought was cute. You want to talk about the uh, changes between the two? We'll, we'll save that for a, a, a special stage, because okay. it's enough that's notable, but like not necessarily enough to like talk now about it. Alright. So, um, now what? <laughs> so that does it for the story stuff. But we do still have a few issues we skipped over. So it does take us into the filler of this batch. Yeah, I, I don't like using the word nowadays because I feel like it gets thrown a lot in, for anything that isn't interesting to the viewer or reader. But like some of the stuff really does just feel like filler. Like not all of it, I'd say, but like some of it just doesn't feel like it matters to the overarching plot. Like it feels kind of there for either fluff or to set up other things for the future. It does take us into the infamous Sonic Live. Sonic confronts Robotnik, who's captured the Freedom Fighters, and also for some reason placed a mind control device on Sally instead of roboticizing her. 
Robotnik vaporizes Sonic, and we cut to live action, in which Ken Pender's real-life son and niece are heading off for school after the former died in their video game. Meanwhile, Sonic is lost in some nebulous green void, but eventually starts hearing the voices of two kids as they return from school, and I just can't do this. I can't recap this comic. It's too bad. It's just too fucking bad. Okay, fine. I'll keep going. (laughs) The plot twist is that was actually written into the recap itself. God damn it, Sonic not understanding what's going on. I was gonna take Sonic. over. You couldn't. <laughs> Sonic not understanding what's going on proceeds to pull the kids into the TV as he exposes that an energy surge allowed him to do so, and then uses a preceding energy surge to make his way back into Mobius, abducted children in tow. <laughs> Robotnik is preparing a missile launch, one that'll allow him to install satellites around Mobius to deal with the Freedom Fighters, but gets ambushed by Sonic. Sonic confronts Robotnik once more, only for him to kidnap and threaten to murder the children. Sonic thinks fast and quickly dispatches of his SWAT bots, pointing his children along and making their way into the control room. Hitting random buttons, they manage to stop the missile launch, only to be pulled into another dimension by a trans-dimensional portal that appears out of nowhere. A similar portal had opened up before Robotnik and Snively, with the two heading in as well. Robotnik ambushes Sonic and the kids, surrounding them with SWAT bots and quickly imprisoning them, revealing that he'd begun making a giant robot of himself using robotic doppelgangers of himself from parallel universes before throwing the three into prison. Robotnik exposits to Snively that these multi-dimensional portals were created by a different universe, the one that we're in right now, and his robot doppelgangers turn on him. Meanwhile, Sonic and the kids meet up with Mori and Jerry, the fictitious designers of Sonic, the character and the game, because Ken couldn't use photographs of Sega HQ for whatever reason. Mori explains that the design for the Sonic game came from transmissions received over a prototype device that is also the one that has been creating portals to other universes, and that they didn't really understand what was going on, but just decided to keep quiet about it anyway. Jerry adds that the device doesn't normally create multidimensional portals, but ended up doing so as a result of a lightning strike. Someone else was apparently opportunistic and began using this device for their own nefarious purposes, but this goes nowhere, so... (laughs) A woman dressed in a Robotnik costume breaks the gloop out by blowing up a door... And Sonic narrowly saves Robotic and Snively from being vaporized by the Robotnik doppelgangers. Jerry explains that if they shut down the prototype, it should undo everything somehow, and that the access code to do so is a code to one of the Sonic games. Being a gamer, Sonic speeds off with Pender's son, who tells him to put on the level select code from Sonic 1, shutting down all of the robots. Jerry and Mori set up a nearby device that's just there to send everyone back to their homeworld. Robotnik is just tired of this shit and leaves. Mood. Sally and the Freedom Fighters are all safe and fine now, and the two children excitedly play the newest Sonic game. This kid's got the fucking Sonic Saturday game prototype game. I'm, I'm certain that's what like, they were playing at the end. <laughs> In the following story, oh, the no. Substitute Freedom Fighters, we learn how the Freedom Fighters were saved. Larry Link's Super Jinx from issue 12 stumbled into Knothole, <laughs> learning of the Freedom Fighters' capture, and rallied together Cyril, the bold-headed Eagle, also from issue 12, as well as the Neo Freedom Fighters from the Sally miniseries to lead a charge to save the Freedom Fighters. They use ingenuity, brute strength, and weaponize Larry's bad luck to their advantage to save the day and are officially dubbed the Substitute Freedom Fighters with Larry as their leader. What? 
Where do we? We also get the story with Merlin Prowler as well. Right. Do you want to like talk about the rest of the issues or stories or? Uh... No, we'll just let's get this shit over with. Just Sonic Eye is bad. Yeah. Like it's not as bad as people say, but it's still pretty bad. Oh. Like it's just <laughs> a dumb, stupid vanity project. There's like one weird bit when they go into the other dimension where Sonic's also a video game character. And the art style changes, but as far as I know, the art is still by Penders. Yeah, so it's just a bit weird that Penders then makes a joke about how the kids look... Uh, the, Ken, as his son, makes a joke about how he looks like Speed Racer or something now. It's weird. Yeah, I think they say, like, Speed Rider or something, like, copyright yeah. free name. But yeah, like, it, like, the style goes from, like, realistic... I mean, like, tracing over, like, actual pictures to... Like, this sort of anime-esque, I guess, like, I guess a more Archie-esque, maybe, style that doesn't look much better. Like, the yeah. realistic-looking pictures look creepy, but now it just looks, like, looks kind of sloppy. Yeah, because there's, like, pages when, like, Sonic is about to pull the children into the TV where the kids just look traced, and it's absolutely horrifying. <laughs> but yeah, this. This comic fucking sucks. Like, I, like you said, I don't think this is the worst. I, I hated Super Special more, just for, like, the main Battle Royale story, but this one isn't much better. Because, like, it's... Mm-hmm. I, I've never watched the movie, but, like, I can... I know it's meant to be, like, based after Last Action Hero, and, like, knowing, like, we suggested... I think it's this, just in name. I mean, like, it, I don't know. it is kind of like that story where, like... Uh, a human kid, or in this case, human kids, are pulled into the fictitious world. But, like, it's... Well, I don't know much about Last Actions here. I know it at least has, like... It does this to, like, lampoon and, like, poke fun of, like, movies from the that era. Whereas with this, it's just... There really isn't any purpose to bringing these kids along, except for having the kid do the level select code at the end. Like, they're more of a detriment than, like, an actual help to Sonic throughout the, this comic... Yeah, and also Sonic just endangers children after abducting them, which is, like, you know, a very blasé joke to make, but it was also still like, what the hell is going on here, (laughs) you know? It's the kind of thing where it feels like there should be some sort of purpose, but, like, there's there really isn't much fun at all put into this story. Like, not in just regards to that aspect, but, like, the weird, like you said, like, this weird dimensional thing that the Sega employees are using to get the inspiration for Sonic, and then, like... I also didn't understand the fucking robot Robotniks that I thought were like from another dimension and but suddenly turn on Robotnik and then Sonic saved that him because we wouldn't have a comic. I gen I was hoping like you explain it would like maybe convey it better to me, but no, I'm still lost as to what the hell was happening. Even more now. Yeah, no, it's just it's just confusing. Just a bunch it's, of gobbledygook. Yeah, it's just a really bad Vanny project. And you know, like, if I was a kid, I would be like, hell yeah, that's amazing, Dad. Thank you so much. But I, it's also just like, yeah. you know, as, like, someone who's consuming Sonic comics at the day, I'd still be like, what the fuck am I reading? Yeah, I'd probably be confused, too, if, if I was, like, a kid that, whether it was, like, my first Sonic comic or, like, I was a long-time reader, I'd probably just be kind of confused <laughs> this whole thing. There's one page in which... There's one panel in which when they arrive into the second dimension where, like I said, apparently 
Penders was going to make it live action with, like, being in Sega HQ, but just could not wow. get the photos for it. <laughs> um, in which, uh, poor Steve Penders just looks absolutely horrifying as his eyes are cloaked in shadow. He just, like, light Yagami's oh, for a second, and it's terrifying. <laughs> I forgot about that panel. <laughs> that looks menacing as hell. I love Sonic's blank expression. Yeah. I think... Penders drew this story, right? Yeah, of course right. he did. Besides, like, the human characters, like, it just looks really rough. Like, I remember, like, thinking, like, the outlines of characters looked very, like, un... Like, uh, not uncanny. Like, outlines of characters looked very, like, shaky and weirdly static-y unintentionally. Mm-hmm. I didn't get what was up with that. Like, it's clear that, like, trying to draw an entire story himself, like, was not easy for Penders. It is just looks rough. Like, I think Super Special Battle Royale looks worse, but this looks pretty bad, too. Yeah. There's also just the part where Sonic is just, like, running really fast to the kids, and it looks like he's about to, like, pull their arms off, and <laughs> I wrote it in my notes of Sonic really almost Gwen Stacy's Ken's kids. <laughs> This makes me think of that scene in uh, Sonic 06 when, like, him and Elisa running through the fields and, like, poor Elisa's, like, hanging on for her dear life as Sonic's running with one hand, uh, like, yeah. holding one of her arms. Yeah, it's <laughs> the stupid fucking story. And the, the substitute Freedom Fire thing, I genuinely just, like, skip through it. Like, I, it's the kind of story where, like, they introduce, like, the... I don't even understand. Hey, you want to see more? Yeah, like... Right in. It just reminds me, like, Archie... The Archie team and T-Thing kind of had something similar, but, like, to a bigger extent, where, like, they had a second team of mutant heroes called the Mighty Mew Animals, who briefly get their own, like, a spin-off series before that got cancelled, and then the writer decided to kill off the Mighty Mew Animals, and then, last I think the last time they're shown, it's a villain, it's a guy who killed them, displaying them burning in hell, as a allusion to one, of their gir- to one of their friends <laughs> the team and T adventures comics are kind of fucked for children's comics <laughs> amazing imagine if we got that with the substitute freedom fighters later on like we get like mammoth mogul <laughs> showing them like her, like stuck in like some sort of like chaos emerald prison like client uh, cl- uh, cl- uh, at the crystal for dear life <laughs> Awful. Yeah, like, this is... This is just... Like, I was thinking about this when I was writing my general notes earlier. Like, like, we know, like, we've seen, like, fan art and... I think in fan mail, like, talking about, like, some of these, like, nobody characters. Like, I remember, like, one piece of fan art had, like, Larry Link with the Freedom Fighters. And it just makes me wonder, like, with stuff like this or, like, the 40 Fathom story from, uh... The... I think it was Mega Mega Madness, right? Yeah, yeah like, I just kind of wonder, like, you think kids at the time gave a shit about any of these characters, these kind of just minor glup shitto characters that just don't really... I mean, maybe, given, like, at this point we're still pre-Sonic right. Adventure. This oh, is yeah. basically the only story that people have of Sonic at that right. point. So, like, maybe. Like, I, there probably were at least a few. Like, I was also just wondering, like, were, like, 
they making these stories because there was demand or just get like they needed some page filler and just couldn't really figure something out with some of the other characters like i'm sure like i like i've said like there probably were kids that did care about some of these nobodies but i do kind of wonder also there's like anyone that still like ling like hopes for like larry Link's return <laughs> Like, That's what we can do. We could do that with our oh, Sonic comic we're doing eventually, right? <laughs> totally. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Like Issue 44. Mind, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, this one. Black and blue and red all over. In Rotor's hangar, he shows off a small gun that can transform into a, bu- a bazooka. Also, for some reason, the Speed Racer's car and a TIE fighter are in his hangar. Oh, I didn't even notice that. He and Sonic are ultimately pulled away by an alarm revealing that something's going down on Angel Island. The Freedom Fighters mobilize, and we cut to Knuckles, who's rushing down the zoot chute <laughs> to the Emerald Chamber in light of an earthquake somehow occurring on a floating island. He's intercepted by Evil Sonic, who's crossed the dimensional portal to steal the Chaos Emerald. This time, however, Evil Sonic's brought company, Evil Knuckles, <laughs> who's inexplicably Irish for some reason. <laughs> The three trade blows before Evil Sonic and Irish Knuckles have to make a hasty retreat in light of the dimensional portal closing. The Freedom Fighters catch up to Knuckles and the group begin making their way down the Cosmic Interstate to take the fight to the Evil Dimension. More fighting ensues before Evil Knuckles decides not to fight, realizing abruptly that violence is in the answer, and reveals that his Angel Island is having its emerald energy drained and that everyone will die if nothing happens. He's much more defeatist about this in contrast to our Knuckles, but offers to take the group to his Angel Island, or sorry, Atlantinopolis. It's underwater. His Angel Island is an underwater city, and the Emeralds create a containment field to give them oxygen. Thanks to Nicole, the gang quickly find Robotnik, who was behind us all along. Surprise, surprise. They're captured by SWAT bots, but Evil Sonic saves the day, having been double-crossed by Robotnik as the two were working together the whole time. A fight ensues, and a dimensional portal is opened up to the main universe's Chaos Chamber, allowing the two Knuckleses to use the Chaos Emerald as a reflector, making Robotnik blast himself with his laser, vaporizing him instantly, though it's immediately revealed that he's just been, quote, misplaced. The crew quickly restore the Chaos Emeralds in the evil dimension to their rightful place, and Evil Sonic is left tied up, and Rotor promotes not getting to use his big-ass gun. <laughs> I didn't mention it in the recap, but he briefly uses it in Endgame Part 1, right before Sally dies. So that's kind of why I didn't bother mentioning it. Yeah, glad, glad this was a thing like he had. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's not really much yeah. to say. It was an okay story. I don't get why Evil Knuckles is Irish or Angel Island in... The evil universe is Atlantinopolis. I mean, I at least kind of get that, but get it, I guess opposites, so underwater instead of up in the air. Like, I that guess. didn't bother me as much. I don't understand the Irish thing. I, I don't even have a joke for it. I don't understand it. I'm sure maybe, like, <laughs> who is the writer for this? Like, Ken? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Ken has a reason for it, but uh, it's just so fucking dumb. Uh, yeah, I... I didn't really care for this story, and partially because like, it didn't feel like it had anything to do with what else was going on in the comic at in this point. I did think it was neat that Robotnik 
basically decided, yeah, there's just a multiverse highway that anyone can go on. I'm going to go and steal someone else's emeralds. Yeah. I also just found it weird that despite the rest of the Freedom Fighters being evil, uh, the Mirrorverse Knuckles is still a good guy and, like, still wants to, like, still perfectly willing to work with the Freedom Fighters. Showing your bias there, Ken? I guess it's more just meant to be an opposite dimension rather than an evil dimension, and we've just been referring to it wrong the whole time. I just thought it was weird, like, given how they put emphasis on, like, the opposites of, like, of the heroes are the bad guys and the bad guys are the good guys in this universe, that, like, the Knuckles parallel is still basically just Knuckles, but now he's underwater and Irish. Wait, what nationality does Ken... Ken thinks Knuckles is, like, American... Sort of, because he speaks with a he thinks he speaks with a Brooklyn accent. Right. So does he think? But like, regardless of what he thinks, Knuckles is he thinks the opposite of whatever that is is Irish. Eh, I don't fucking get either. I wrote in my notes, "Rip and piss Sonic Extreme" because someone mentioned it in the Sonic uh, Rams. Damn. But then we get to. Sonic Blast issue one, which is a tie-in special that we skipped over. Oh yeah, this one. Robotnik remotely explains to Snively his plan to invade Flicky Island in search of Chaos Emeralds, and Snively secretly allows the Freedom Fighters to trace this transmission in order for them to have an opportunity to stop him. Because it's an ongoing plot point about Snively wanting to take over Robotnik, something imported from SAT-AM. Robotnik begins roboticizing the Flickies, abusing their naivete to do so. Eventually, Sonic, Tails, and Rotor make their way to Flicky Island and learn that, for some reason, the new roboticizer Robotnik made can have its process reversed when the victim is submerged in salt water. Sonic makes for Flicky Island as the two fend off and de-roboticize the Flicky bots that are attacking. Robotnik stumbles upon a giant magic ring that acts as a dimensional portal, aka the ring you use to teleport from section to section in 3D Blast, but gets intercepted by Sonic before he can make his way in. The two fight before Robotnik gains the upper hand by electrocuting him with his nose and flees in the ring portal. We get a two-page maze-like spread of Sonic easily dispatching a Robotnik, only for him to once more gain the upper hand by trapping him in his cape and fleeing into a nearby temple. He finds a giant bird statue with a Chaos Emerald inside of it and takes it, only to get accosted by the statue itself, which causes an earthquake so powerful it begins destroying the zone they're in. Sonic vibrates so fast that he passes through the cape, which isn't me being as reductive as you'd think, and catches up with Robotnik, speeding past him into the portal to Flicky Island and forcing him to get rid of the Emerald. The three then proceed to abandon Robotnik on Flicky Island, as Sonic has destroyed the battlesuit he had used to get there in the first place, and the story ends with Robotnik professing his hate for Sonic. We also get a filler story about a Freedom Fighters awards show, as well as a Bunny Rabot solo story in which Robotnik and Snively try to plant a tracking device on the Rabot, only for slapstick hijinks to ensue and a tracker to get lost and eaten by a gopher. I didn't care for this issue at all. This is one of my least favorites of the I batch. I, I, st- I thought it was really boring, yeah. It's basically just it, another thing that just feels like it's from the early era, of the, the early issues yeah. of the comic. Like, there's at least, like, a few bits with, like, Robotnik that did crack me up. Like, just how much he hates the jungle, as well as when he takes the jewel off of the giant flecky statue. Wah! I put no faith in such paganism. Uh, then again... 
A little bit of religious tolerance isn't such a bad idea. It's never fucking weird. Yeah, when the, the statue, when a statue turns alive and starts attacking him, it's fucking weird to see the words paganism and religious tolerance in a Sonic comic. As well as all, yeah. I did also get, I also did kind of crack up at him like doing like symbol swearing when the flicky bites his hand. Oh yeah, yeah. But other than that, like I don't have it. I didn't think it's that interesting. There was one part in which, at the beginning, before uh, they learn of Robotnik's scheme, oh, yeah. Sonic then complains to Sally about not being forthright with her previous relationships with other people, including Knuckles. And I thought, man, that's disgusting. I hate this. This sucks. And then we get like a panel of them sort of kissing. It's <laughs> like Sonic looks so scared. <laughs> Sally's face just looks so gross but also i don't i don't know if it was on your scan as well but like it then i thought was kind of weird was like uh in my scan like a, an editor's note saying sally's memories changed between sonic select volume one and two which i guess was to retcon something that was like in like one of the trades it is like something that have covered in previous right. issues like i think one of them was in like mecha madness and one of them was just like one of the early issues with Knuckles is that like that I don't remember the exact specifics of the conflicting stories, but I think I think Sally just said like, Oh, we've never like met and then like at a later point they just talk about like how they would go on secret beach dates. Yeah. yeah. I just the wording of it just kinda of confused me. Like just Sally's memories change between volumes. <laughs> just felt like a weird way to word it to me, but it probably makes sense when you're actually reading the trades. But yeah, I don't have anything. I think it's. I think it was super, super Sonic vs. Hyper Knuckles was the other one. I don't remember the exacts because yeah, I'm also using archive scans for the specials, so I don't know. Oh wait, I was getting like the thing about Robotnik in the Jungle was confused. So the next issue, (laughs) issue forty-five, we get a recap on Moby, the caveman from issue thirty-two, and it's revealed that Robotnik apparently has a massive fear of the jungle. Snively reassures him that the new machine, the Echo Destroyer will destroy, will get rid of everything without Robotnik ever needing to step foot in the jungle. Back in Knothole, Uncle Chuck relays all this information with the party, and Sonic sets off with Rotor to try and warn the residents of the jungle of the impending invasion. Sonic decides to eat poisonous berries because he's a fucking idiot, <laughs> and the two get captured by Gorilla Gorillas. Not the one with the fearsome foursome. That was us making a pun on our own and not something that the comic was actually making. Rotor is forced to act as a cook and inventor for the gorillas, and Sonic asks if they can exchange weapons for freedom, proceeding to try and use his sonic speed to give the gorillas their own weapons as a bait and switch to free the two of them, only to have his plan foiled by himself by accidentally scooping up the supply officer with him in the process. One of the gorilla guards explains that Though they used to be timid and kind, they became hardened by war, or rather, fighting off Robotnik, only to get interrupted by Snively riding in on his eco-destroyer. Bunny, Moby, and Tails rush in to ambush Snively and the SWAT bots, and it's revealed that Rotor drugged all of the gorillas with the poisonous berries from earlier to try and give them an opportunity to try and escape. Tails distracts Snively as Sonic loosens bolts on the eco-destroyer, causing it to fall apart the second Snively tries demonstrating it before Robotnik. And that, that's it. it. I don't care. Yeah. I, I was a boring story. Yeah. I was like, why did you bring back the caveman? I don't For, care about the caveman. Just like a one-off, like a sort of self-contained feeling story. Like, 
Yeah, I just don't have anything to add. Let's just move on. This is a lame-ass story. I did note that the Echo Destroyer did kind of look like the giant magnet from way back when, when Bunny oh, yeah, got a story. That. I was like, oh, that's weird. Oh, yeah, did the... Oh, before we move on from this issue, did the scans for, like, the Raws look as rough as, like, the ones for the Archive? Because the Archive one that I was reading from... I'm not sure, like, what what trade it is, but it looks so fucking, like, mis... It looks like it's been misprinted or something. Like, it's... just looks so, like... Yeah, rough. no, I also had written in my notes that the art just looks very sloppy. It just, like, okay, yeah. it does not look good, I honestly. Guess even they didn't... Like, it's not one of the worst arts, right. but it, still look, it just looks pretty sloppy. It looks almost newspaper quality right. with how messy the line art is. Yeah, I guess it may they're just, like, in a rush to get this one done with or something. Like, I don't know what, like, the situation of Archie was. Part of me wonders if these were padding so you could have the 50th issue be the 50th issue, but also, Probably. like, I don't know, maybe they actually enjoyed these stories and were just shitting on them because we thought they were fucking boring. <laughs> um, and then one last story to wrap everything up that I had skipped in Super Special 1 Uh, you good? I'm trying to find my notes. I, I, I didn't separate it because it was a last minute decision to separate it. always <laughs> fucking caught me off guard. <laughs> I got possessed. Don't worry about it. Oh shit. The story is simply titled The Map. Antoine looks through an old collection of maps his father gave him and bitches at Bunny for just trying to see how he's doing and then promptly goes on a solo mission to try and figure out the secret of one of his maps, one that was torn in half yet seemingly points to somewhere in Robotropolis. He surmises that something must be important in this location, as the map itself was hidden within the hilt of his father's sword. We cut to Snively talking to himself about how he's always been planning to overthrow mm -hmm. Robotnik, and that he just needs something that'll give him the opportunity to do so. In combing through the royal archives, he stumbles upon the other half of Antoine's map, and though neither of the two's halves give them the information they seek, they still both head off for the general location the maps point to to seek answers. The budding circle, which I, I don't know what it's supposed to be, I think it's a nature reserve, but turned into the Crudzu harvesting grounds in light of Robotnik's takeover, the Crudzu being the evil robot plants from all the way back in the first issue. Antoine tries to be stealthy, Realizing that Snively has the other half and has been using his secretly designed super-powered attack bots, which resemble the egg robos from Sonic 3, to try and dig up whatever might be hidden. Antoine falls on some metal pipes and reveals his location, fleeing into the sewers as he accepts his potential demise. Despite his fatalistic ramblings, Antoine is able to think on his feet, using a power ring to easily slice down one of the egg robos, giving him more time to try and use his locator device to find a way back to Knothole. He continues thinking quickly, using a prism device to confuse the remaining egg robos before making his way to Uncle Chuck, who explains that the others have been looking for him. Chuck explains that there's been some seismic activity in the area, and that Rotor, Sonic, and Bunny were heading off to investigate, much to Antoine's dismay. Antoine heads off the map to Chuck and sets off, trying to help the other Freedom Fighters before it's too late, saving the day by giving Sonic a power ring and fighting courageously alongside the rest of them. The remaining Eggbots self-destruct and the SWAT bots uncharacteristically retreat, 
and though confused, the Freedom Fighters make their way back towards Knothole. As it's revealed to the audience, the Robotnik heard wind of the Egg Robos through an anonymous source and is scolding Snively until Snively thinks of a lie that they were for research and excavation and were destroyed by the Freedom Fighters, which Robotnik buys. The story ends with Antoine thanking Uncle Chuck for helping out, implying that he was the anonymous source, but muses to himself that we never did learn the secret of the map, and he hopes one day that he'll figure it out. We also get a map of Mobius, and it's just the Earth, but squished, kinda? <laughs> like, it's just a really weird, like, that. the portions are all off, Japan isn't there anymore, <laughs> Australia is just a circle. <laughs> I didn't Sorry, look- Willow. I didn't notice that. I didn't put, like, a... I didn't look too much at the map. Like, I just wanted to get to the next issue, but I, I did find it kind of, like, surprising to see that we... I guess I guess it was, like, the, super, the first super special. It was just kind of surprising to see an actual map of Mobius up to this point. There was one bit on it that kind of cracked me up was number 25, Mysterious Cat Country. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. I wasn't looking at the place. <laughs> what? Yeah, number 25. It's so weird. I hope we get to Amazing. see this mysterious cat country at some point. I need to look over and this map And if not, we'll point. write it. I didn't look, like I said, I didn't look too much at the map, but like, I want to see like what's on it uh, later. <laughs> One thing I noticed is Antoine's dialogue is weirdly flat and bland like he it's like it just feels like he's narrating to himself while also like half awake i guess to describe it like it's just so very plain and matter of fact of a narration that i was just kind of confused as to how boringly his dialogue was written it's a it's continuing like his sudden characterization from 46 of him being a much more serious and focused character which like I didn't mind as much in 46 but here it just felt kind of jarring like he's now signing like this tough soldier guy which doesn't really track with even like at his best he was never this like level and it doesn't help it like He's got the fucking accent. Like, it makes reading his dialogue such a pain to do sometimes. Yeah. yeah. It also doesn't help, like, the way Manatrosum, like, constantly has him squint in his eyes like he's some action hero or something, and it just looks so dumb. Mm. <laughs> it's um, alright story. I thought it was a neat story. Yeah, it was okay. I genuinely liked it better than the Battle Royale. Yeah. The B story was better than the A story, which is just depressing. I feel like that's the first for, like... uh, I feel like that's the first for these comics so far. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, it's an alright story. I did find some of the bits of lore, like the egg bots and the power rings, being able to work on more than just Sonic, be kind of neat. But, like, Mm -hmm. I think we need to talk about the Snively thing. Like, it just feels, like you said, like... All of a sudden, now he's always been plying to overthrow Robotnik. Like, he's... like There's been a lot of inconsistency with how characterization has been with the comics. Like, some are worse about it than others so far. But I feel like Snively's gotten at the absolute worst. Because I feel like there's, like, practically three different versions of him at this point. Like, we've got, like... Absolutely. Season 1, Saturday and Snively, where he's just, like, the loyal, long-suffering second-in-command, who's, like, 
doesn't really show any signs of getting fed up with Robotnik. Like, he's just... Which, like, is fine. Like, it's... And it sort of, like, transitions well into the second Snively, which is, like, the season two one who's more fed up with Robotnik's BS and wants to overthrow him and take over. And then we have the Ken's version of Snively from earlier issues where he's betrayed in a more pitiable and sympathetic manner where like he's like he might not like Robotnik but he's also lost without him and like but he also doesn't entirely agree with him like we get in like the I think it was 20 and 21 or, or 21 and 22 the one where Robotnik yeah. dies Leave story, yeah. like it just feels weird just how all over the place his characterization is like having him like go from like a loyal, like, second-in-command to getting fed up, like, would be one thing, but we get, like, these moments of him, like, like I said, like, the story with Robotnik's uh, fake death where he's completely lost without Robotnik, but then, like, we'll, like a few issues after that, we get him, like, being so overconfident to the point where he's risking all of Mobius with his plan, and now we're at this point where, like, he's basically setting him season two, Snively, where he's always, like, hated Robotnik, and he's always been plotting to overthrow him. But also, like, yeah, sometimes it's portrayed in a more comical manner, where, like, he just wants to, like, use his robots to pamper himself and like enjoy like get some enjoyment like other times like he's like downright evil like like maybe I kind of feel like this is probably going to be like the characterization they'll go with continuing forward since like they hinted him like becoming the new villain like I can't wait to see how long that'll last <laughs> Yeah, they're probably just going to follow after the stuff in Sad AM yeah. Season 3's plans, which we did talk about during yeah. the Sad AM miniseries we did, which, sorry, I'm sorry we were so negative <laughs> about it, that we just didn't care for it that much. <laughs> yeah, that's the filler, so that takes us into the Opinion Zone! <laughs> I, I feel like you really didn't like this batch, and I don't think I hate this batch as much as you might have, but at the same time, like, I'm not going to be too defensive over it. Like, it's, it's kind of disappointing. Like, I didn't, I wasn't expecting, like, Endgame to be, like, the biggest of, like, big arcs, like, given the quality of the comic so far, but, like, this was kind of meh. I, like, the lead-up issues weren't great. Like, there were some moments here and there, but Jeffrey just kind of drags it down. Just his existence alone and his constant bickering. It's the Knuckles and Sonic stuff, but so much worse. The issues not focused on the main arc aren't really much better, and, and like, the specials besides Sonic Quest, like, that was the high... Honestly, the highlight of the issue beyond some points in Endgame for me, like... I unsurprisingly didn't like Sonic Live. I found the Sonic Blast thing to be just, like... It was clearly just promotional fluff that they had to make to promote the then-latest Sonic game, which would have been 3D Blast. And, as I said before, I fucking hated Super Special 1 for the Battle Royale. Like, it's poorly drawn, poorly thought-out story. Like, another 
like, hero versus hero thing, like, to escalate from supersonic and hyper knuckles, let's have the entire freedom fighters fight each other, but oh, it's obviously gonna be a fucking dupe, so we can get some lame-ass kingpin knockoff to take over. As for Endgame itself, I, like, it has its moments, but, like, it's, like I said, pretty disappointing. I didn't really care for some chunks of it. Like, the... I thought, like, the Sally death was handled poorly. The betrayals with characters we barely know. And, like, don't really... I don't really care much for, like, Hershey or Dr. Quack. Uh, I didn't really give a shit about Drago. I didn't really care for, like, the whole Bunny and Antoine subplot. There was also, like, a, a smaller subplot with rotor and tails at knot hole like getting loaded onto the ships or whatever it's just I, I think it's better than the finale of Sonic it's better than the finale of Sadie M at least like it feels like the stakes are much higher and like it's an actual conclusion of sorts like not like obviously it's not the finale but like I feel like if you might have left it off here it would have probably been like a pretty decent end, I suppose. At least probably, like, good for the time, maybe? Yeah, I'm probably being a little bit generous, more generous than I should. Yeah, I guess... Yeah, it's an alright batch. I was kind of underwhelmed and disappointed with this stuff. You? Yeah, I just... I thought it was pretty decent at first, but the more I sat on it, the more I was just realizing more and more that, no... I don't actually like this batch. I, di I don't care for it. It had some good moments, but I just am not invested in the King Acorn plotline, and so that takes up almost the entire runtime, and I just thought it was tedious. Like, the whole stuff with Knuckles was just boring, honestly, and then everything with Jeffrey and Sonic and Knuckles and Sonic was just so annoying that it just kept going on that they keep fighting, they gotta keep fighting, and Sally is d dating one of them, maybe, but she also dated Knuckles, and it's just, like, absolutely frustrating to read. Like, I'm glad we're finally at the point where the story is just being serialized. But now we have to get to the point where the story's actually good, and I don't think we're at that point yeah. just yet. It was just tedious and frustrating. And then there's just a lot of it that was just actually insanely offensive to me personally. Like, I was just so disappointed in Endgame. Like, I thought it was fine at the time. But, like, even when I was doing my first reading, I thought the entire subplot with Hershey and Drago was actually stomach-churning. Um, and then we get the filler stuff, which was just like, oh man, remember when we were reading Gallagher stuff, but now it, it, when we're just like, oh yeah, Gallagher, Mad Magazine, oh, but it's like Gallagher has proven himself to be a good writer. And so we go back to these stuff and it's like, what happened? What happened here? Um, like I was running in my head. I was like, maybe it's like maybe Sonic Quest should have just replaced these issues, because these issues don't really add much, I don't feel mm -hmm. like. And I just didn't really find them that entertaining of stories either. And so I was just like, 
frustrated reading this. Like, I do just hope we get some more interesting stories. But the fact that we're going to have to resolve stuff with Mammoth Mogul soon does not inspire me with confidence, I'll be honest. I just hope they push that stuff back for a while, or, like, it gets better, because the first two showings aren't really the best so far. End of stage rankings! But da 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 That's not the jingle either. <laughs> um. I'm gonna say my A rank stage. My A rank issue is Quest Issue 3, actually. And not Endgame Part 4. Which may be a surprise, because I actually did really like Endgame as finale specifically, even if I was immensely disappointed with parts of it, and also floating, and also Knothole is displaced three hours in the future now. I'm sure that like, probably never could come bring up. A, I'm sure that probably never be brought up again. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> I liked a lot of Endgame's finale, and I would say Endgame Part 4 or Super Special 6 would be a follow-up for me for A-Rank, but I I just had a more overall pleasant time with Quest Issue 3, just because there wasn't any bullshit that I hated. It's just a fun story, and I just loved Sonic piloting a giant <laughs> mecha doppelganger of himself. I thought that was absolutely amazing. <laughs> I would say my runners-up for E-Rank would be either 43 or 46, just because, again, I cannot stand the nightmare that is Jeffrey and Sonic, and it's just so frustrating. But after thinking it over, I would say my least favorite issue would be issue 48, a.k.a. Endgame Part 2, just because... It is the part where we're basically full sail revealed the abuse of Hershey, and it is the part where Jeffrey and Sonic are bitching at each other about how they love Sally and how it's awful that they have to deal with her being dead now. And so, yeah, I would say that's emblematic of the worst part of Endgame, and thus it gets my E rank. And surprisingly, A rank for me is Sonic Quest, period. Like, like I said, this was the highlight of mm-hmm. the batch for me. I enjoyed this from start to finish, and looking back over the past issues, while there were some points that I enjoyed, this was like the most consistent of the bunch in terms of the quality. Like, And again, like it impressed me like with Manak. impressed me with uh, Gallagher's writing. As someone who was critical of stuff before, like... This was a huge improvement, and I hope, like, if he does get to do any more, like, story-focused stuff, and isn't just, like, more, like, gag stuff, like, he gets to... I hope that he can get to do some more action stories instead of just, like, gag issues, because if this is how his writing is at this point, I am hoping that, like, he can keep the ball rolling for any other, like, uh, story-focused issues, story- or action-focused issues he'll do. Worst issues, unsurprisingly, like, I put down, like, all three of the uh, specials, the Live, Blast, and Super Special 1, but, like, thinking it over, 
Sonic Live is bad, but, like, it's kind of just entertaining for just how absurd and poorly thought out it is. Like, there's, it's an awful comic, but, like, it's, Sonic Live is bad, but, like, in an entertaining way, and just how absurdly poorly thought out the whole thing is, as well as just having the fucking, like, substitute freedom fighters with the junior Neo freedom fighters and fucking Cyril and Larry Lynx working together. Like, it just feels like the most thoroughly fluff they could come up with next to that weird 40 Fathoms Freedom Fire story from Mecha Madness. Blast is just so painfully boring. It's pretty much just, like I said, a promo comic that's loosely tied in with the main... That's loosely tied in with the comics itself. But super special, number one. While I do like the Antoine story somewhat, the main story itself, as I've said many times so far, is just absolutely awful from the art to the writing to the plot. Mammoth Mogul is disappointing. Like, I had some hope for him when we see him debut, but... It's kind of clear to me that, like, Jamie was probably right to be skeptical of this character, because I do not think that he <laughs> is going to be written much better in the future, and it just, it's a very clunky issue, and I'm just so sick of these rival fights. Like, I'm, I would not be surprised if we get more of this shit once Sonic's, once we get the real rival of the franchise, Shadow, later on, like, these sho- four shoved in, like, big fights between Sonic and the other cool dude and, like, just shoving reasons to put these two together to sell comics. That's pretty much what Super... What the Battle Royale just feel like. A lame ploy to sell more Sonic comics. Blah. But that'll do it for this super special, super long issue of episode of title pandering and Oh no. Yep. Vespa. There's something we've neglected. What? To bring up this entire time. Oh, wait, I think In issue 45, as well as issue 46, they mention in the Sonograms something that was going on in the background. They mention that Knuckles had gotten a second miniseries, (laughs) and by issue 48, it got graduated into an ongoing series. That means next episode, Penderheads, we enter Maximum Knuckles Hell. (laughs) I am very curious to get into this stuff. We are finally getting into Pender's echidna lore proper. We've only got we only got a taste of it during the first mini series, but I'm excited to see what stuff he has planned for Nux and the Echidnas in the next batch. <sighs> Stay pendering, Penderheads. Got a juice. Knuckleheads.
house. Oh. <laughs>